you primitive screwheads listen up i got news for you pal you ain't leading but two things right now jack and shit jack left town well hello mr fancy pants I was just in my office and I heard a rush. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What up everyone, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko and DJ Miss Kitty. Yeah, she's joining us, checking us out, living a life. You know, I hope when I'm old, because Miss Kitty is 17 now, I believe, and uh, 17 kind of translates to about 85 in human years. So I hope when I'm 85, I have two people that just worship me and help me and clean me and 
you know, clean up after me and just feed me all the time. And even when I bother them, they just love, love me. Right, Miss Kitty? Right? Anywho, Anywho. Uh, action-packed episode for y'all. Episode 100. This is a big one for us. You know, yeah. we've been sticking to it. Sticking to our guns. Yeah, it's actually the actual 100th episode with you and I. Of course, sometimes I do it myself, but Neko's been here for most of them. Um, a lot of new music coming your way. Thundering Hooves, Mia's Mick. Demoted, Gate Creeper, as well as New Cat. Curse of Decay, Zach Leezer, Ritualist, Frozen Soul, very cool band, and much more. Neko's Pick of the Week in our rock block. Ooh, which one's my Pick of the Week? Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> I thought I could get you to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Not like when they see the fucking thing listed out, they don't know, but anyway. How do you, do you think they know? I guess you put it at the same... Yeah, it's always the same spot. However, like, I remember Amok was always like, you should just tell us which one it is. I'm like, no. <laughs> that takes the fun away. And I bet you they can figure it out, though, just oh, looking yeah. at the list sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I, well, this one, I don't know, because you love this, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, some interesting topics to get to. A couple of things, uh, sort of comic-y related. Um, comic-y? One dealing with Mortal Kombat, which we'll get into a bit more later. Uh-huh. Got a topic that uh, has been discussed before between both of us and myself uh, about metal and the PC culture and stuff. But because of the member um, from Exhumed who did an actual article on it that I found he had done last year or something, uh, I thought it was very interesting. He made a lot of big points that I want to get to. That sometimes isn't conveyed very well when we do it. Uh, anywho, I also have Edgar Allan Poet who will be checking in with us. And he will be coming up after the first block of music. Woohoo! Talk all things NFL. There's a lot to get to with that. And then maybe see what he's seen in movies and TVs that he's been into recently. But going to get shit kicking off. Oh, I did want to mention that uh, Metal Town Radio is up and running. We did mention that a few episodes back. You can find it on the Shoutcast directory, on your phones. Just type in Metal Tavern Radio and you can listen to 24-7 heavy metal and rock music. And you can find it, like, if you have a TV, you can get the uh, app on your TV if you want. Like, if you're just... Yeah, there's a Shoutcast app mm-hmm. and stuff like that, yeah. I mean, sometimes we'll just be, like, reading or cleaning up the house and we'll put it on the TV and just kind of... You know, zip around. Put it on the telly. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this first block of music is all old school stuff, uh, classic material. And we're going to kick it off with some witchery. This is The Burning of Salem. Yeah. 
Bobo with the Bandy Thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it. All right, we're back, and we are joined by Edgar Allan Poet. How are you doing, sir? Thank you for having me on, my friend. It's great to be back. I love the show. Yes, sir. I told you I would try to get you on more, and it's, it's always fun when you come on. So there's a lot to get to also because I don't even know, like, in the way of movies or TV shows you watch. We'll try to get to that in a little bit. But the NFL, there's a lot of fucking news, a lot of playoffs going on. I think we should probably start with the playoffs. How do you feel about it? So the playoff, the, I, this year of the playoffs has been great. Um, I really enjoyed the expansion. Uh, uh, I thought the expansion of playoff teams was fair because the pandemic kind of threw everything out of whack. And I haven't, there have been some stinker games, but there hasn't been an overall playoff weekend where I thought, oh, that was a waste of time engaging. It, it's been great. Yeah, I think uh, even with the added games, I think they weeded themselves out pretty quickly from, you know, the good teams from the subpar. Yeah. Yeah, and there were some shockers, too, like Cleveland over Pittsburgh. I know, uh, I was so happy about that. The poor Brownies. <laughs> I hate, I hate that city. I hate <laughs> Well, that's the thing, like, they almost beat the Chiefs, and, like, I still don't know what's going on with the Mahomes. Like, they say he's okay, but then he's still got to clear the protocol, so it's really going to be interesting how they go forward with this. Now, the other part of that is, I think, I, I, can't, I don't know what the stats are during the year. I know we've had a few concussions this year, and from what I can tell, most of the players that got them were out at least two weeks or a week and a half. Yeah. So My I don't fear is they let him play when he should. Right. And that wouldn't be doing that would not be doing that young man any favors. Ask Troy and Steve Young about concussions. Yeah, what even um, quarterbacks. Brett Favre had just written something about it too, saying that, you know, look, uh you have to be careful if you're gonna go play because, you know, if you're not hundred percent this could have long lasting effects. So And that's Brett Favre. That's <laughs> right. That's, that's Brett Favre, and I, I do not have a lot of kind things to say about Brett Favre, but I will say if anyone is qualified to make that statement, the Iron Man King himself gets to make that statement. Right, you know, he's old school, taking a lot of hits and all that. Now, the other news that we have is apparently uh, Haskins is signed with the Steelers. Yeah, that's a great... Um, I don't know if I've told you this. I ended up, uh, uh, ironically, a bunch of friends from another message board recruited me, and I, I, and I could never really get into the Chiefs. Um, I like Mahomes, but I ended up becoming a Steelers fan, and we lost to the Browns. <laughs> so maybe I'm a kiss of death. But Haskins is a guy who let's let's start with the most recent stuff. He's been a jackass. Mm-hmm. He. Now, he has been a jackass for so many reasons. Uh, if you're an NFL quarterback and you don't work hard, you will not succeed. Um, he felt entitled. He had a coach who has cancer and then ran around to nightclubs with no mask on and then went back to practices, and that was just so disrespectful and, and dangerous. I mean, it is completely – I mean, if somebody wanted to say that he's dumber than a bowl of hair, the bowl of hair would be offended. 
<laughs> on the other side of things, he's young, so he can change his ways. Um, he's a pocket passer. He, he's got not just the strong arm, but an arm that can make intermediate and, and short-level throws. And he did show flashes um, on the field of, of his talent. And one thing that I did like about his game was I watched him stand in the pocket, deliver tough throws, and get blown up. So it's not a – I don't think it's a mental toughness issue. I think it's a maturity and a uh, grow, grow the F up issue. So you think he's um, just uh, a little immature as a person? I would imagine that he was coddled as a child. I know that he was a huge star in high school, and – uh, that he was coddled there, but there is no reason. It's not like he went out on the field. And he's like, I can't read. Right. I don't know what the playbook is. Mm-hmm. He just went out on the field and showed his ass. So I think there's there's hope. Right, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously Pittsburgh with Ben not getting any younger had to start thinking about that down the road. So that's it's probably. Uh, a low-risk, high-reward type of deal if they can get Haskins to grow up and play well. I mean, it's really interesting because, to your point about being coddled or whatever, we were watching that documentary about um, that high school football team that got in trouble for the rape. rape. And it was like you see these, like when they're in high school, if they don't actually make it to college, which a lot of them did not, they don't really have these, like, adult coping skills because their entire lives coming up through the ranks in this football, like, you know, peewee football and then into high school football, they're looked at as, like, little mini-gods. And it's this smaller town in the in the Midwest. and Yeah, I think Varsity Blues. <laughs> yeah, like that. And I, I couldn't... And it got really... I mean, it was a big national news story about six years ago. We're just late on watching the documentary. But it was interesting to see... Only the ones who actually kind of went to college or got out of the town were being a little bit more successful. But then the ones that stayed in the town, it's like they didn't know how to act when they weren't being worshipped. And they, in that case, I remember that case because I was was taking pre-law classes then. And Mm -hmm. I had a great interest in family law. That case came out, or incident came out, and they tried to bury it, too. I, I do Yeah, that's that. true. The, the uh, yeah. administrators tried to just bury it and say, yeah, it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah Ohio has a long, ugly history. I, I think a lot of Midwestern, a lot of states, um, but it, it seems like Ohio especially, because like, football is, is king there. Um, in, in a city like Cincinnati, for instance, where the Reds have a storied history, and they used to have a professional basketball team. They're just waiting, you know, for the Bearcats to have a good enough team to make it into the, the, the big boy playoffs mm-hmm. or a bowl game or, or whatever. So, like, I get it. But, like, people in that town made defenses for those kids. Uh-huh. Like, well, it wasn't it wasn't sexual assault because they only did X. And I'm not going to get into the details and all that. People can look it up. But it, it, it's like no, that's not how that no, works. No, that, that's that's sexual and I'm not assault. Haskins is a, is, a, is a rapist or anything, but like you can see the narcissistic he, like uh, personality kind of coming out. Yeah, it's the mentality. Yeah, there. yeah. It, it, I, I my 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 dad used to tell me many times growing up that he he believed my dad was an academic and, 
and all that stuff, and he wasn't a violent man, and, and all that, you know, but he said, there is nobody in this world who is above getting knocked in the mouth from time to time, and I would imagine there are a lot of people, especially high school and college athletes and stars, who could stand to maybe get smacked in the face, whether it be by an actual fist or a metaphysical reality fist, but I just, I look at Haskins, and it reminds me of Paxton Lynch. Remember um, when it came out that Paxton Lynch was known to be lazy and didn't work hard mm-hmm. and yeah. still drafting him? Yeah. I don't know why these teams, like, kudos to Washington for just being like, you know what, we really screwed this up. But um, Alex Smith isn't the long-term answer because of his leg issue. Oh, I mean, poor they got Alex Smith. When he was still in his early to mid-30s and quarterbacks play forever now. Um, so we're going to talk about Tom Brady uh, and and Philip Rivers in a moment, um, but like they they cut their losses, and yeah, they won a crappy division, and yeah, they didn't look that great in the playoffs, and nobody likes Stan Snyder, but it, it was easy to be happy for the players themselves. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of controversy, um, what are your thoughts on uh, Urban Meyer going to Jacksonville for head coaching? Um. Urban Meyer is a really smart football coach. If you look at his track record, he's found ways to leave programs and leave entities whenever he wanted. He got out of, uh, was he in Florida? Yeah, he was Tebow's coach. When he saw that their roster was starting to to fall apart. In fact, I think he was Tebow's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, oh, my heart. It hurts, and then suddenly in two years his heart healed, and he was the Buckeyes coach, and then he got in trouble for continuing to give the job to another, you know, uh, domestic abuse. By the way, if you guys hear grunting sounds, that's my little uh, French bulldog, Sugar. Ah, hey, Sugar! Yeah, I love she, Frenchies. Like, she always sits next to me, so sometimes her, her grunts pick up, but I don't think Urban Meyer will be there longer than three, four years tops. Um, I don't know, typically, like, I grew up in the 90s watching football, and they always said that, like, it's almost impossible for a good college coach to be a good pro coach. But with how the game has changed and the, the college schemes that are in, in play and, and the fact that he's a Florida guy and he's in Florida and they're going to have, I think, a lot of tolerance for any shortcomings he has, I maybe if there is a place for it to work, this would be it. Um, I can tell you that I don't think there's too many coaches in the pros or college who are better X's and O's wise. So it's, it, it was a decent hire for a franchise that just needed to get their fans excited about something. I think it was a decent hire. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they just needed some new blood, and that's probably what he's going to give. Now, there's a couple of retires. Uh, we're going to talk about the first one. Touch on a little bit lightly, just because it's you know I know kind of your feelings on it. But Gary Kubiak has announced his retirement. Oh my coops! Gary Kubiak is one of the best assistant head coaches of all time. Um, he's a brilliant football. I'm going to say the next stuff first. I mean, uh, he's he's a brilliant football mind and a, a good mind, a good man. He revolutionized the, the what's called the Shanahan offense. I don't think Kubiak ever got enough credit for his input into that. Right. Um, the problem is, is that after he stopped, after the revolution of the offense was over, he never adapted and adjusted to the point where Sean McVay took that offense 
And I'm just going to call it the Kubiak offense because I actually think that you had more to do with it than Shanahan. Um, him being Kubiak, of course. Sean McVay took that offense and changed things. He said, we, we do not believe that we have to have small tackles. He put Andrew Whitworth's six foot eight Goliath Luddite ass out there and to, to great success. He did not believe that they need smaller guards and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. He updated some of the route combinations and things like that. Kubiak didn't do that. Kubiak was very, very stubborn in what that offense was going to be. And he seemed to have a type of quarterback that he loved. I don't know why he loved shitbirds like Trevor Simeon and, and Case Keenum and guys who have grit but no arm talent and who can only make three quarters of the NFL throws. But he did. But Gary Kubiak should be remembered by and large as being a true genius, one of the better human beings involved in the league. And I always appreciated the fact that Kubiak, whether he was winning or losing, he never pouted to the media. He always took accountability and he answered tough questions. And his players loved him. So how could you know how could anybody poo poo that as an overall career? Yeah, I, I really loved him, uh, not only as Me a player, because he was backing up L.A. for a long time, and he was a, a very calming, you know, presence behind John, even back then. Then, of course, when he was a coordinator, even, you know, helping Jake be his best he could be. And then, of course, going to Houston and doing at least some success there. Uh, but look at him when he came to Baltimore. They, like, worshipped him here. I know he was only in, in Baltimore for a short time, but when you have people actually like you from Baltimore... Well, especially in OC. <laughs> yeah. Like, Baltimore, we, Baltimore hates their offensive coordinators. Like, yeah, they, in, they really do not like them. They cheered when Bowler... Got, hurt. got injured. Like the Baltimore fans are the meanest fans to their own players, and they Kyle love. Should have been a bowler. Yeah. Um, yeah. He does not show up on enough all-time draft busts. <laughs> one of the worst quarterbacks. Like people. Here's the name. You guys remember Joey Harrington? From yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Joey Harrington and Kyle Bowler had had two things in common. They could throw a ball so far. Over those mountains, baby. <laughs> yeah, and they, had, they both had decent um, accuracy on, on deep balls, at least to a certain extent. But Joey Harrington, it came out that he was a, um, a borderline piano prodigy, and he was a sensitive guy. And um, he got chewed up in the NFL, because not because he played piano, but because it was said that he was very sensitive and he would take things personally and it would try to motivate him and and it, it didn't work out. Kyle Bowler <laughs> was equally shitty. Uh, reportedly had a really bad attitude. And I I remember I I remember when they went out and they got him, I wanna say it was Willis McGahee and uh, they got him uh, it wasn't Anquan who was a what Derek Mason when Derek Mason was mm-hmm. so good yeah. and they surrounded him with with way more offensive weapons and way more free agent money than anybody would have ever thought Baltimore would spend and he still sucked when they ran the ball 35 times a game 
Yeah. I mean, Kyle Bowler, shit. Kyle, if you're listening to this, it is almost impossible to be as bad at anything that you were at football. I hope you can't say it all. <laughs> that you got to charity because you are a disgrace. You should never feel good about yourself. Oh, my God. <laughs> I laughed when he, because I was a Bengals fan then. Yeah. And I had seen Akili Smith play. And I had seen uh, David Klinger play. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like one of our quarterbacks. Pete, right. So the other uh, retiree, of course, is Phyllis Rivers. Phyllis uh, Rivers. I love, I love Rivers. <laughs> I love him and his 17 children. 18. <laughs> Probably 20 now. Oh, my gosh. 27. <laughs> he's, he's, he's already started on a whole new family. He's going right. to repopulate the earth. I, yeah, I really if felt... we get hit by bombs, we just need Philip Rivers <laughs> one consenting woman to be alive and we'll be back to normal in like 20 years. He he did have a really good year this year with the Colts, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it was one of his best years. And I, I mean, I don't know what the whole motivation... I mean, I know he's getting older, but... I feel like he could have had one more year with the Colts unless they were talking about dropping him. I, I'm, you know. I'm yeah, he signed only a one-year deal, so I'm not sure. <laughs> like, the Colts, I think they were just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen this year. and then I think, But I think they were ready to move on. Like, I don't think they're even going to go with Brissett. Brissett's not even really an option anymore. They're going to probably draft a guy in the, in the draft this year. And then, There's five first-round quarterbacks this year. Wow. Right. They're reportedly... Not that that means anything. There's always five first round. <laughs> right, one way or the other. Paxton Lynch was a first rounder. See where that I got think, us. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with um, what you both said. I think that he could he played at a really high level. Now, granted, the Colts had a good roster. I think that's why they got him because they were like, we have a good offensive line, a good defensive line, solid corners, and good wide receivers. With Philip Rivers, we could at least make the playoffs, and, and they did. Um, but I don't think that they were going to uh, bring him back um, unless he was like, I will play for league minimum or something absurd. And why Why would he take that damage for, for low money? Um, Philip Rivers, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's criminally underrated. I think people do not understand. I, he played a playoff game with a torn meniscus and a torn ACL. Philip Rivers is is the dude who was credited with with he was like Drew Brees. He was like I'm so much older than all my young teammates, but I have to build a, a rapport with them and be a, be a leader and be a um, kind of like what what you said about Kubiak being a calming influence. Philip Rivers had to be a, a calming influence, and as he got older, I mean, it's so much different than. When he was younger and talking smack with Jay Cutler. And, oh my God, those um, were so funny. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because he can't cuss, so like, how could you even be offended with going, Dad? it you you suck harder than a vacuum cleaner. And you, <laughs> you know, it's like you you hit hard, you hit as hard as a pillow. It's like shut up, Dylan. No one wants to hear your kindergarten insults. But he's just he's an all time character. Um, the league will be different without him. I agree. Yeah, I think I agree that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but for different reasons. I don't ever think that Phillip was really uh, an amazing quarterback. He has the numbers. He has the longevity about it. Um, 
but I always consider him more middle of the pack. I mean, he, he's better than most, obviously. He's better than Cutler was, better than Tony Romo, but he has the same kind of characteristics. Like, he's the kind of guy that will take you into a game and throw four touchdowns in the first half and then throw four interceptions in the second half. And those are the kind of things that I've always measured with Vinny Testaverde, Jake Plummer, Tony Romo, Jay Cutler. These are the kind of guys that can live and die and kill you in a game, same game. You know, it's like you're up one moment and down the next because they're just destroying your, your hopes. So when do you think that um, Rivers is going to start commentating? Because I think what my plan would be is get rid of Collinsworth, move Tony, <laughs> move Tony Romo in with Collinsworth, and then put Rivers where Dude, Tony... Dude, Romo is so good, he has to replace Collinsworth. He has to. I just... <laughs> Collinsworth ruins the game for me. I'm just laughing at how I hated Collinsworth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, it's hard for me to watch a game sometimes because he just drives me insane. And everybody's like that. He just. The thing about this guy is, yeah, uh huh. Everybody knows. Now here's a guy, and we do this shit yeah. all day. I'm like, here's a guy I want to punch in the throat. Yeah, here's a guy whose voice is more annoying than taxes. It's it's just it's he's just he's a very nice man. Yeah, with yeah. an annoying voice. Ugh. And. And, and very average observations. Like he, he definitely doesn't want to ever bury anybody. Yeah. Um, the only the only notable moment I remember from him calling the game that I appreciated was he had a son who went to Notre Dame. His son was best friends with uh, Sean Kaiser, who quarterback for Notre Dame. Sean Kaiser was starting a game, and Collinsworth was like, "Look, I've had this guy over." I had him over at my house and looked at him as, as a kid. I, I, it's going to be very hard for me to be objective about him because I know him personally and he's a family friend. And I was like, thank you. That, that's very honest. And seeing as how he just threw his third interception, I could, I could not understand <laughs> why you're not burying him. You're looking at a linebacker and just drilling him in the chest with the ball. Oh, my I, God. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for that input there, buddy. He's like, yeah. yeah. I love, I love Tony Romo as a commentator. I think he has moved into a nice post NFL kind of career. I he's been doing it now for three years. Somewhere around, yeah. Well, maybe a little longer because he's been out of the league for a little while. But Romo, the great thing about Romo is one, he has a true understanding of how the offense works. Like he will break down for you while he's commentating what's going on, where the tackles are supposed to be. He's the kind of guy you want doing talk. and The color commentary. Right, and he, he's funny. You know, he did those commercials in the past with ESPN and whatnot. I always got a kick out of us. He's just as funny and smart as Peyton Manning. He just didn't have... He didn't have the talent. Well, he, he was talented, but he, again, he, he just hit a plateau. That's really his only downfall. He only had one way to go. And he, I, I looked at his career as um, Tony Romo was obviously a really smart guy. Like I think he could be coordinator. And I don't think every quarterback could. But when he hit the when he hit the NFL, when he hit the field, he was going to read the play, do the smart thing. But he loved the ad lib. He had true above average mobility. He had a good arm. He developed a lot of. I mean, he worked really hard to develop chemistry with all of his wide receivers and. Um, 
I don't. I never looked at Tony Romo as a choker. I I watched a lot of those games where the Cowboys ended up falling short, and uh, I I think that, and this is something that we've always disagreed upon. Um, I don't I don't believe in that. There's there's people who routinely choke and those who who don't. Um, I think that circumstances make up a lot of if a player is going to succeed in the playoffs and not, or, or not. And I, I remember Romo playing behind some real crappy lines as well as some really good ones and getting battered in the playoffs. I also remember him keeping his teams in it in a lot of those games that he, they said that he choked it. But I also know that there are a lot of really smart NFL fans and pundits who disagree with that. Uh, I think what makes Romo such a good person on television is when he's, I, I watched the game where he was like, okay, they're gonna, they should blitz and do this and then do that. And then the team did the exact opposite of it and it worked. Tony Romo's like, well, don't I look stupid? And he's never, ever scared to have that honest moment where he was like, oh, I was wrong. What do, you know, I, one time he even said, you know what? Maybe that's why there's some of those bad interceptions from time to time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just honesty. It's just honesty. And it wouldn't work if he was wrong all the time because it'd just be like, who's this jolly fucker who's wrong all the time? The jolly fucker. <laughs> a syndicated broadcast. But be- because he is so good and he's so charismatic and he's so accurate with his analysis and that he can admit when he's wrong, it feels like it feels like that's the type of dude that you would invite over to your house to watch a game with. Well, you know, it's funny thing about with Romo and Philip and Jay Cullers that despite how I felt about their play, it, you're right. It isn't just their fault. Sometimes the surrounding uh, coaching or talent plays a factor. Now, Philip really, and I can defend him here, was the one year when he was in San Diego with LT and Gates. You know, they were playing the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Uh, the downfall of that game was Schottenheimer because they t- he tanked it in the second half. They didn't run LT as much in the, fr- in the second half as they did the first. So they totally let the Patriots get back in that game and win it. So it's not was always... The jammer game? Huh? Because I, was that the game where, um, and then on top of it, Brady goes for a fourth down, he throws a pick, Quentin Jammer, who was a, uh, I think it was a Pro Bowl cornerback that year. He's a pretty good cornerback, but he was their best corner. Their cornerback picks the ball off, tries to run it back, fumbles, and the Patriots recover and then score what ends up being the game-swinging touchdown. I don't um, remember that, but probably. I just remember that, like, the Chargers were up, like, something like 24-3 to at the half. <laughs> sort of reminiscent of when they played Denver with Manning when we had that big comeback. But uh, I just remember the second half saying, well, they've got this game, dude. If they go out there and just keep doing what the fuck they've been doing, they're going to beat them and get to the Super Bowl. Well... They ended up having Rivers start throwing the ball over plays, and of course he's going to have a couple picks. And the Patriots get back in, and of course Belichick's very good at you know getting teams motivated to get back in games. So uh, that's definitely one of those cases where I would say that coaching let them down. Like that was probably the worst collapse I'd ever seen coaching wise. Um, he was also he was also the guy who um, I watched. Philip Rivers had a season where he completed like almost seventy percent of his passes on a team where he was missing three starting offensive linemen and a starting wide receiver. 
And so he was throwing all of these short passes. And to get a get the completion rate that high, you typically are basically going like pure West Coast. But he was like when they did like the advanced breakdowns of his passes, he was still throwing the occasional deep ball to keep the team honest. He was throwing intermediate, you know, passes over the middle of the field and um that that's that's a danger zone, so to speak. And he he was a guy who started his career he he was benched for two years, basically, and then he started, and he had LT, who is a Hall of Fame running back, Antonio Gates, who's going to be a Hall of Fame tight end. Um, I want to say that he had Keenan McCardle, who was the Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. Came from Jacksonville. Just a bunch of really good offensive linemen, and it's like he started his career with like a cornucopia of riches, and then it, towards the middle and end of his career in San Diego, um, like, was it two or three years ago where they were missing, like, three or four starters for over half the year? It was, like, some of the stuff that Carson Wentz is going through right. now. Um, and he was still doing his job. So, like, to me, when he started his career, I was like, oh, he's just doing this well. You know, he's just being a top ten, top seven, occasional top five guy because of the talent surrounding him. And then he was still able to be a very productive quarterback on some really flawed or really injured teams. And, you know, I, I used to hate him so much. Um, <laughs> but to your, to your point about Marty Schottenheimer, man, I, how many, how many Super Bowls has that man thrown away? Uh, that is, that's why he's on the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it killed him pretty much throughout his career, whether it was in Cleveland, whether it was in Kansas City. Of course, San Diego. I mean, I saw a uh, like an ESPN special on Mar- uh, Schottenheimer like years later, like probably like four or five years ago, and it was really, really good. Uh, it kind of I used to really hate him just for that fact, and because of the teams he always played against Denver. But like, it just gave me a new perspective on him because he really was a good guy. He just had a lot of bad luck, and unfortunately made a lot of bad calls when it came to game planning for teams because he just comes so close so many times and he just kept choking it away. And so, yeah, yeah it's just one of those things. One Super Bowl to make the hole? I mean, because he had a huge... I mean, I, the, the, this just popped in my head. I think the year that you were describing with Rivers was when they went 14-2 and um, they fired... I think that was the year they got Schottenheimer fired. Um, yeah. Because I was going to say, Schottenheimer had like several years where he was like 12 and 4, 13 and 3, 14 and 2. Like, he had, he was a regular season god yep. coach. Yep. Yeah, he just he, couldn't hack it in the. Yeah, the, the playoffs were always his crutch. Like, he just could not get beyond Marty, a certain point. Do the opposite. Whatever you think you should be doing now, <laughs> go the opposite way. Marty, right? Marty, Marty the Magic 8 Ball. He's a better route right now. When you want to open up, because he would, every now and again, he would open up the, the passing offense at inopportune times. And then there would be times where he's like, all right, we're up six. There's eight minutes to go in the fourth. Better do nothing but run the ball. What could possibly go wrong? Right. Up six. <laughs> nothing could. Oh, shit, I lost again. Um, he had a good sense of humor. I remember watching interviews when he would talk about, like, all the quarterbacks who pulled off huge comebacks against him, and there's no bitterness, there's no resentment. He would always say nice things about them, and it was just like, you know, 
he is a good guy. He's a really good coach. He's just cursed. And he brought on some of it on himself, and he also had some bad luck. But, it, I mean, don't feel too bad for him. I mean, all the money he made coaching, and, you know, it, it, Marty had a good life. Oh, he yeah. Good yeah. Life. He, he did. And chances are he'll still probably be a Hall of Fame coach because, you know, he's there for a long time and had a lot of success with a lot of different teams. So, in the end, yeah, he'll probably... Uh, he resurrected a lot of franchises. Didn't he? he was kind of like, all right, you have a roster with three good players, give me two years. And then, then I'll make you miserable and we can't go to the Super Bowl. But I will fix all of your shitty drafting. <laughs> yeah. So, is Drew Brees actually retiring this year? He hasn't come so. out and said it yet, but he's he's been he's contemplating it. The, the reason yeah, I sure. the reason I asked <laughs> no the reason I asked that is I was reading the the you know just like the sporting blogs and stuff, and they were kind of harkening back to Peyton Manning when he retired, and they're like you know if you imagine this is Drew Brees' last game being played here in the Superdome, and you know they lost and it was sad, you know. Not everybody gets the Peyton Manning retirement send-off. And, mm-hmm. and we don't, like, because Drew Brees has, has had a, a decent career. But, you know, you kind of are limping out on a low note instead of having, like, oh, the Super Bowl, and you get to have the big speech, and everybody's get the confetti and the hugs. Well, and- the problem for Brees is, is that, you know, it's not about so much not getting to the Super Bowl or not... You know, they lost to Tampa Bay, but it, it was because how he went out. Like, it just he looked so bad. So many yeah. bad passes. And that and that's the kind of thing that you don't really want to end on. But if I recall, that's Favre... I mean, he was kind of, like, limping out on a, on that's a what, but load. Favre of... did that when he was with the Jets. That's how he went out. Favre could have went out. The way he did in Green the, Bay. No, no, no. He could have went out when he was with the Vikings. They lost to the Saints that year. Mm-hmm. And they had a really good year with Brett. And then, like, after that is when everything fell apart. And then he went to the Jets, and that was like a train wreck. Mm. And that's eventually... I thought he went to the Jets first. I thought that he went to the Jets, played well, got hurt, they missed the playoffs, and then ended up getting traded to the Vikings, had that great NFC Championship run where they lost. I want to say it was to the Saints. And then the next year, what he was awful. But uh, I know... It, I think your point's very fair because, like, at one point, somewhere towards the end of Favre's career, it's like, okay. He, he ended with the Vikings. Bowl, but oh, he did. Yeah. You, you, you went gangbusters. Look, look right here. And he he had that. back and just sucked. And it's bad. It sucks because it's bad optics. Okay, yeah. so you, you were right. You were right. Ever. He had his first year with um, the Vikings. He had, like, a really great year. So he went to the Jets and got hurt. And then the Vikings picked him up, and he had a really great season. He, they were twelve and four, and you know his stats. Yeah, they were, were good. at home for that game, and, and that's then, the game where uh, he threw a very bad pick that sealed the deal for the Saints. And I think that's he threw the year. it across his body when he could have ran for the <laughs> right. The three fumbles, two two of them were actually Adrian Peterson's fault, but the way that it scored when there's a fumble on the handoff, it's against the quarterback. Um, right. So he had like two picks. One fumble that was on his fall, and then a bunch of missed reads and and um, missed throws. That that was the Bounty Gate game, actually, against the Saints, where Greg Williams, their DC, ended up getting in trouble for putting the 
the, the bounty out on him. Yeah. By the way, Greg Williams is an eternal piece of shit, and if he's listening to this, go to church, you fucking hellish bastard. Oh. Like, God, Lord. He still does dirty shit. Um, I think, I, I really like what, what you what you both said, because not everybody gets the Peyton Manning treatment, and so if you don't get to win on your way out, how do you get to go that's decent? And he, they talked about in the game, and, and this is to, to my Viking brother's point, um, Drew Brees, if you remember his early and middle years in New Orleans, they threw the ball deep all the time. Mm-hmm. Even though Brees didn't have a cannon, he had enough arm strength and then deep ball accuracy to make it work. And they just kept saying, they're daring him to throw the ball, and he just can't do it. And it felt like Peyton Manning versus the Seahawks in that Super Bowl, mm. where they're giving them the coverage to throw it deep, and he just couldn't do it. And it, it sucks because the Saints had they had some tough breaks. I don't think they lost two years ago to the Rams because of that pass interference call, that missed call. Because Goff got basically helmet jacked and they didn't throw that. There wasn't a flag there. But it's, it's a tough break to, to lose that way and then to lose in overtime. Last year, uh, there was that debatable uh, pass interference in the end zone and they didn't get that break. And it's like, you look at the Saints, how well coached they are, how much talent they have, and they kept going. Like, they're $100 million over the cap. They went into cap hell oh, in yeah. order to keep that yeah. team together for Drew Brees. And and you want to applaud that because I hate it when teams tank. I know why they do, but and it's not like that's a tanking situation here. But I love it when teams go, "Fuck it, we're going to try to win a Super Bowl. We're going to do everything possible." Every GM says we're going to be committed to winning, and then they trade a player for a fourth round draft pick just to save cap space because the owner's a cheapskate. Um, hi, Mike Brown. Um, <laughs> so I love it when. Uh, a team goes all in, and the Saints did, and that's and that's what makes them so likable. That's why they were. When was the last time you heard somebody go, "Oh fuck, New Orleans"? Nobody hates that team, right? Not anymore, anyway. They, everyone likes the Saints. They're they're very sympathetic, and it it sucks that the last image that we're going to have of Drew Brees is him going out there and playing a bad game, and then watching Tom Brady play like the goat. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's funny because I think that if for whatever reason, which I don't really think they're going to beat Green Bay, but if Tampa gets to the Super Bowl and they manage to win it, I think Tom will retire at that point because I think he wants to go out on top. You know? I think that if they kind of lose... Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if they lose to Green Bay by a close game, he may come back for a year or more if he can do it physically. But... uh if they win it, I think he's going to say, yep, you know, I'm done. I have did everything I needed to do. I'm good. <laughs> Fuck you, Bill. Right, right. <laughs> Shaq got the first ring over Kobe. Fuck oh, you, yeah. Kobe. I got, they make Kobe rest in peace, obviously. But it's like point proven. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm out. I've been rooting for Brady this year, and it makes me feel, you know how much I hate him. Oh, but um, <laughs> I've, been, I've been legitimately rooting for him. Um, and uh, there have been a couple reasons. One, one is I'm trying to break myself of the toxic habit of, um, and I think it's like obviously I contribute to it, but like the whole like you get into these awesome debates about who's the goat or you know which team is the best or that type of stuff, and like you get so hyper focused on it that like for instance you talk about like the best quarterback ever. And 
it's like, it's good. no, it's Manning, or it's Brady, it's whatever. And then we don't talk about Dan Marino. And Dan Marino is one of the best pure passers, period. If you prorate his stats that year that he threw almost 50 touchdowns as a second-year quarterback, that's like, uh, God, somebody did it. It was like the equivalent of like 65 touchdowns in today's era. It's insane. Um, and so I'm trying to appreciate players while we still have them. Um, and so as much as I think Tom Brady does frustrate me and as much as I think that some of the Patriots' success was truly founded on, on cheating, Tom Brady's career and his resume is what it is. Those things happen. doesn't matter if you like them. doesn't matter if you love them. Those are things that, that happened. And so I am trying to appreciate him. And I, I also do like the fact that um, I like players who bet on themselves. I like people in general who bet on themselves and take risks. And he could have stayed in New England and, and probably cobbled together enough players. You know, you yell at Bill and then Bill will open up the, the craft purse strings and you sign some guys and you trade for picks and stuff. And probably could have, like, massaged their way to winning the division or certainly making the playoffs and having a decent run, but probably not being a Super Bowl caliber team. And Tom Brady was just like, and I respect it. He's like, I don't care that I'm going to a new system with a coach who makes me throw it deep more than I ever have before. Um, I want to go play. I want to start. I want to start on a team that has offensive weapons because I still believe in me. And I do think that having Mike Evans and Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin has made Tom at times look better than he really is. But I also know that Tom Brady is a 42-year-old man stepping out on the NFL field, taking NFL punishment, and still playing at a very high level, if maybe a tad inconsistent. And how do you how 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 can you not appreciate somebody who has the the guts to do that? Because he could have just retired and been like, "I'm the goat." Fuck you. Yeah, I saw it as uh, my my biggest thing with him is, and I'm glad that he's having success in Tampa. Is that so many people were trying to convince me that he was a system QB that he couldn't do it outside of that, and he clearly has proven that's not the case. And I really he was a system court. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I apologize. That's all right. Go ahead and say what you need to say. I was going to say that I think that we tell the history of people's careers very poorly because when you listen to somebody like Colin Coward, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, when he talks about Tom Brady, he talks about Tom Brady year seven and eight on out when Tom Brady was putting up huge passing numbers and really came into his own. And then you listen to somebody like Nick Wright, and Nick Wright, you listen to him talk about Tom Brady, and it's like, talks about Tom Brady like he's still in his first year, second year, third year where they did almost nothing but pure West Coast, run the ball a ton predicated entirely upon defense. The beauty of Brady is sort of like the beauty of of Phillip Rivers actually. They started out in great situations. They weren't asked to do a lot and they did play a system game. And then they developed and they became real great quarterbacks. And so you can find a delineation in Tom. Actually, I'm Tom Brady um, stats. I'm, I'm googling it now because this was something that made me kind of change my opinion on Tom. Because you and I, we used to go back and forth on this all the time. It was around his um, one, two, three, four. Uh, it was his fifth year starting. His fifth year starting, they go ten and six. Is two thousand five. He threw twenty six touchdowns, which was 
pretty good back then. 14 picks, which we kind of like expect him to be like the five or six interception uh, a year guy that he kind of turned into. But that was still an acceptable ratio back then. I was in high school back then. Good God. You led the league in passing that year. You don't lead the league in passing that year as a system quarterback unless you're as limited as Matt Schaub the year that he did it with, ironically enough, Gary Kubiak. And so then two years later, 4,800 yards, he led the league in passing. And then 2017, basically 4,600 yards. You're not doing that if you're a system quarterback. And during that time frame, they went from the Randy Moss deep ball with um, Wes Welker doing the, the sodomizing the poor shitty slot corner linebacker who had to guard him um, into the two tight end sets with Gronk and um, Hernandez. Then they went kind of back into a more traditional West Coast offense when they when they when Gronk started getting more limited and Hernandez went to prison. Um, and like the history of his career is, he's had so many different offensive coordinators that a lot of people are like, well, it has to be Belichick. But Belichick is a defensive genius. Some say he doesn't know offense, but his calling card is defense. It was Tom. It was Tom. He went from so many different styles of offense. You can't be a system quarterback. But he was early on in his career. And, of course, it makes sense for Bill Belichick to, to be like, well, you, you look pretty good, but we just traded for Corey Dillon, who was a top five running back in his day. I guess we're going to run the ball a lot. Or we have three good but not great wide receivers, and they can all run short and intermediate routes, so we're going to go pure West Coast offense. And it's the nuance is dead. We talk about people like they were like quarterbacks, like they were one guy the entirety of their career, and that's not it's not true. It's just not true. And so around that those times in his career, I had to be like, no, the, the Viking man himself is right. He is no longer, he can no longer accurately be considered a system quarterback when the system is always changing and the players are always changing except him. And so people need to get, I, I still don't have him as the go. I don't. But oh, it's, a, it's a really strong argument. And if somebody says he's the go, uh, you have to respect that take, even if you disagree. Um, and people need to, people need to give him some more respect for what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I'm heavily biased with Elway being the greatest ever, but, you know, I do That's have... another guy I have ahead of him. I have three guys ahead of him, but uh, Elway is one of them. Peyton Manning. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, I, I don't quite have Manning. See, I have, I have like, Elway, Brady, Montana, Manning, and probably Favre, I think. I'd have to kind of relook at everything. Favre, Favre. <laughs> Brett Favor. Can I, t- can I tell you why I don't have Brady as the goat? Because uh, uh, be- you don't like him? Because he's never eaten a <laughs> strawberry? <Yeah>. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's because one of my biggest things um, is how great were you like, at, at your best? And so I made a, a, a list actually the other day when I was kind of getting back into football. Um, of quarterbacks who I thought, you know, how good were they at their best? And, um, and I looked at Tom Brady. Tom Brady at, like, peak Brady 
which is a fun phrase to say, peak break. And I encourage everyone to incorporate that in their daily vernacular. It's just, it's just <laughs> good. Just, it's just a fun thing to say, yeah. peak break. I have Aaron Rodgers at his best, I thought was a lot better than Tom Brady at Brady's best. Patrick Mahomes, he's, he's short. Now, not all these guys on our, and I'm going to say, are going to be Hall of Fame. If Mahomes never played another game in his life, he would, he would not be a Hall of Famer. But Patrick Mahomes at his best, I thought was Tom Brady, better than Tom Brady. Um, Rodgers, him, um, Manning, and a handful of other guys. And that's been. I have some of those guys beneath Tom Brady on the all-time GOAT list, but there are, one of the things about Tom Brady was his great consistency, but outside of, of maybe one or two years, the, his high-end play was not as good as a lot of other quarterbacks, you know, at, at, at their best. And I do value that. It's like when, um, when people make like the arguments against Terrell Davis, for instance, of being a Hall of Famer because he didn't you, have you, the you, 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 I readily admit when I changed my opinion. Yeah, I, I remember I, that. I, that a lot of people will never admit that about me, but like it's 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 been on the record. I I even said I even necroed an old thread about Terrell Davis, and I said Northman. I believe I. I called you out, well, not called you out, it's not calling you out when you're conceding, but I referenced you specifically. I've changed my mind. Yep. I think you're I think you're right. And everybody still shit on me. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean I think I'm a, I'm a prick. I but think my, my point when is, you, um, I was like, you know what? I I think what I was arguing was basically more so that we ding some guys for just being longevity guys when they really weren't. Um, but like on that board the disrespect Jerome Bettis and Curtis Martin got was just mind-boggling, and it may be, still makes me want to put my head through a wall because those were awful takes. But Terrell Davis, he's like, hey, baby, three years. I'm going to give you 40 touchdowns, 1,600 yards on average, and I'm going to walk into the playoffs with my pants off and say, worship me, I am your God. <laughs> and that is, that's what that man did to the league. So um, what were you going to so say? I value when I watch Aaron Rodgers go out there and play at a level higher than, you know, than I think Tom Brady ever has, and the same thing to be said for um, Patrick Mahomes, and the same thing to be said for, for Peyton Manning, and the same thing to be said for arguably Favre, um, and so on and, and so forth, it, it's hard for me to then go, I think Brady is the GOAT. Because I, as, as I'm not going to say that I just went on that spiel about how he's not a system quarterback, but by that same token, he played in that god awful division forever. It made it easier to get the number one seed. He has the greatest coach of all time, period. And in the, in the discussion, always had a good defense. He uh, has a bad offensive line once every seven or eight years, and that's typically through injuries. And outside of his very last few years in New England, where it felt like Belichick was almost sabotaging him and giving him shit to throw the ball to, like you have no deep threat, but let's go trade for Mohamed Sanu. That you know that that type of deal makes absolutely no sense. Or do you need a deep threat? Well, here's Josh Gordon. He'll be here for a quarter of the season because he needs you know not to make light of his addiction issues, but he had you know a lot of personal demons going on. Um, Tom Brady almost always had everything, and I watched Peyton Manning take a bunch of garbage offensive linemen to the Super Bowl multiple times, and I watched Tom Brady lose two Super Bowls to Eli Manning, who is the dumb brother 
because not because Eli was special and he's not. Um, he's just a good quarterback, but because he couldn't deal with the pass rush. And it's like that's what Peyton Manning has had to deal with every single time he's ran into your team, Tom. And so, it, is it a nuanced take? Yeah. Is it is it overly nuanced? And am I maybe coming to a conclusion that I'm more comfortable with or one that I like? Maybe, but I, I think the position has merit. Um, but I will tell you this: the people who don't have Brady in the top five of all time are high. Well, I'll they get back to your high. point in one second, but Neko did have some points she wanted to get to. No, he already... I'm sorry for, for monopolizing. No! Oh, yeah, okay, okay. You, you said... I, I'm very ranty. I, I, I'm very ranty. No, it was, it was the same thing that you just said. Like, I don't always look at the longevity of a career as something that is a positive or that makes you the GOAT. With Terrell Davis, he had a smaller amount of time to make his achievements, and he made those achievements in three years instead of 20. Yeah. Yeah. It, and he was also a beast when his knee exploded. It wasn't like he was he was trailing off. He was still Terrell Davis. It was like, I'm as good as Barry Sanders, and yeah. then my knee exploded. Yeah, my only point before we wrap this up is, when it comes to like Mahomes, man, he you talk about a guy who was put in a great situation. He's got a great coach. He has a great offense. Uh, he has absolutely. some of the best weapons that are in the NFL right now. Um, yes, absolutely. And what I would have to say, like to justify my, to justify my position, because he has. Is it fair, would you all agree that Kelsey is on a Hall of Fame trajectory? Uh-huh. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He's probably okay. the best in the league right now. And um, I don't know Tyreek Hill's, you know, career trajectory stats, but he's one of the best deep ball threats in recent memory. I think that would be fair to say. And he also is an eight-catch guy, so it's not like he's just a deep ball threat. Um, and they have a, they always have a stable of running backs because that's, that's an Andy Reid thing. Ever since he left the Eagles, he was like, fuck you, I'm always going to have two good running backs. And a solid line. I mean, their left tackle is kind of crappy, and Mahomes makes him look better than what he is. I, I would agree with you, but what makes Mahomes special is that stupid left-handed pass against against Denver, or the ability to scramble and then throw a forty-yard bomb off of his back foot with pinpoint accuracy. You know, there are certain things that Mahomes does, and it's like. You're in a great situation. You have way more talent and ability on your offense than almost any quarterback has right now. But there are just moments where you can be like, only he can do that. It's just, it's just Mahomes. It's just him. Maybe maybe Rodgers. Maybe a younger Rodgers. Well, I um, mean, yeah, they're 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 both more talented than Brady has in his pinky. That, there's no question about that part of it. <laughs> um, but I just I can't dismiss Brady at all because he he has a leader no matter if people hate him wearing his Uggs or whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why people bad because he does do a lot of cringe stuff. Yeah, I mean you know, look, he was on a as you said, he was part of a team that has like a lot of shady history with the cheating, scandals and everything else, so that all goes into it. Then when you're winning, despite some of that, people hate you even more. So I think a lot of the biases against him are just because of that. Like, if you would have put him on, I don't know, the Giants or some other team that didn't have all the crazy crap coming with it, and he had the same amount of success, we probably wouldn't be discussing how bad he was or how average he might be. 
So I yeah, I think Rodgers and, you know, Mahomes are like some of the best of the best in terms of all around talent and QBs. Even Russell Wilson deserves a lot of recognition as well. Yeah. Uh, but we're gonna wrap this up, man. I do appreciate you call or calling you anyway, talking with us about this. It was a lot of fun. So this is our yes, our NFL wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I real quick I wanna say uh one of the bands I've been listening to, Tiamat. Um, I've kind of stumbled upon them. They're a lot of fun for metal. And I know we didn't get a chance to talk about TV shows and uh, whatnot, but uh, Discovery of Witches is very good. I'd recommend anybody to, to watch that. That's a really good show. I think that was on Shudder, wasn't it? It's on Shudder and it's on Amazon. All right. Well, I, have to, like, I think I watched like one or two episodes, but then I just kind of lost track, so I might have to get back into that. But we're going to be talk a little later about DC Titans that we saw on um, HBO Max, so that, that's been some. Also, we started to alien this, so that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about down the road as well. Do I, should I check out the the, the Titans? Yes! Yes! yes I, would. I, sh- if I you, should. Okay. If you like the comic stuff, like I know you do, uh, you will enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, you would All definitely right, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give that a go. Alright, sir, I do appreciate talking to you, man, and we're going to have to do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, one question. Who do you got for the Super Bowl? Oh, um, right now, if I had to go with Mahomes not playing this game, um, I think Buffalo wins and goes to the Super Bowl. Although I think Mahomes will play. Uh, obviously, if Mahomes is there, Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. And I think their opponent's going to be Rodgers and Green Bay, and that's going to be a hell of a Super Bowl matchup. That is a crazy Super Bowl. I want to yeah. see I want to see Tom get there. I just don't think they can beat Green Bay and Green Bay. I just don't think it's going to happen. I got – I'm going to go uh, – my thought process is Mahomes. It doesn't matter if Mahomes is going to – I have the Bucks winning the Super Bowl – regardless of who they play in the uh, coming out of the AFC. Wow. Um, Holy shit. Mahomes plays, I'm taking the Chiefs. So I'm saying that Tampa will beat the Chiefs. And I'm saying if if the Chiefs aren't there and it's the Bills, I'm saying Tampa would would beat the Bills. Wow. I love the pick, though. I do. Wow. But that is like... I'd actually put money on that. That is like a huge gamble. I like it, though. Uh, I, he, Tom Brady has just enough left, and their that defense, the Bucks defense, drives me insane. Because there are times I watch them, and I'm like, you guys are so good at football. And there are other times I'm like, why, are, why are your linebackers so stupid, and why are your corners out of position? The, their defense is inconsistent, but very talented. But I, I do have the Bucks going all the way, and then if Tom wins this Super Bowl. Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Poet. Well, thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Have thank yourself you a wonderful love night, you. man. Love the show. Love thank talking you. to you, brother. Love you both. Bye. Bye bye. Always good to talk to Edgar Allan Poet. Yes. Fun guy. Fun guy. I love talking to him. You know, I don't know if everybody knows this about him, but he. Very, very, very smart man. He is working on 
his final semesters of law school getting ready to take the bar. So he's he's a very intelligent guy with a lot of passion. Yes, he is. Good friend of mine. I, I really cherish my friendship with him, and Aww, so do you, of course. Oh, that was so sweet. I love when you say things like that. Where He lives in... Um, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. So we, we have got to get out there or get once you're allowed to travel again and once... Well, see, he can make a lot of money, so when he does, he'll just fly out and hang out You have out with no us. idea what it's like to be a new lawyer. It's like being a new doctor. Have you ever seen what they do to these residents? Yeah, you graduated medical school. Now you're doing your residency and working 80 hours a week. Kind of right. like when I'm on the ship. It's like, great, you make a lot of money, but you're gone for three months. Right. <laughs> So after, I mean, I'm sure he'll have some time off, but we have to catch up with him. Believe me, Illinois in like se early September is kind of nice because it is, you know, windy and a little but it's not time to be cold yet. When I had to do training in Chicago, I went, it was right around our, it was our anniversary. And so, you know, mid-September and I was there for two weeks and the weather was like perfect it wasn't hot it wasn't cold you had a nice breeze constantly and the chicago lake food you know me i love to be fat so every our, our um hotel was just outside of chicago but they had a shuttle and where they would take you to the um the l which is their metro so plenty of stuff to do we'll have to find out like we'll have to catch up with him because i know we could have a good time in Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, and also in a few weeks after the Super Bowl or whatever, maybe we'll get back with him talk more music-related. Have his... Have his uh, he's clearly in the time, which is cool. So uh, I always like to catch up with him on different stuff. So definitely enjoy talking to him. Appreciate his time that he dedicates to giving to us because I do want to get him more involved with this more often. So I love, though, that you and he... You know, you met basically on um, online, and you started like developing a friendship just based on football. And then he said he wanted to get into metal, and you guys were just kind of like, "Okay, well, this is this is like the introductory stuff." And then he started discovering things on his own, and that's the most fun thing about music is it just brings so many different people together like mm -hmm. he's a law student i'm a sailor you're a delivery driver i mean we you know herman is like a scientific guy and everybody is just a little bit different but we have that one love of metal that we can all just sit and chill and talk about metal yeah, he's a good dude, like, all the way around, so that that goes beyond the music itself. Like, he just really is a great guy. He is. All right, well, we're going to get back into some music, because I know we got a lot to get to yet. In this block, I have some new stuff from Thundering Hooves, as well as Miasmic, but we're going to kick it off with some Into Eternity. This is This Frozen Hell. Mm-hmm.
is a desperately dangerous fact. It does exist. It exists around us today. Satanic ceremonies will be happening in Britain tonight. Very definitely. Ask any priest. Atlantic, we are talking about paganism, necromancy, alchemy, witchcraft, the order of the left-hand path, the report of evil is embodied by Satan, 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 Lucifer, the Prince of Darkness, and their legal
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you All right, all right. All right, all right. Are we Matthew, are. Are you back. Matthew McConaughey now? All right, all right. Yes, mm, I am. Jesus. <laughs> DJ Nubis and DJ Neko back with you. Mia's Mick beneath the bestial banner, closing out that last block. I really like them. Yeah, good band, eh? Eh? Hey, eh? Hey. Now you're Canadian. Oh yes. my God, you're the Canadian Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Right, right. Oh, oh so now... <laughs> now we're going to throw clockwork orange in there. Hey, who's Christo? <laughs> so, uh, a few episodes back, we talked about how Newsman got, like, an Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our uh, our nephew, my old, my sister's oldest kid, he, um, he gave it to Uncle Nubis because... He got his PS5. He got a PS5, and he's got a gaming computer, and... They have two, every child in my sister's house has their own Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> uh, they I got could be luck- down one Xbox. I got lucky. They, you know, my nephew didn't play it much anymore because now he's got the new and improved PS5. For me, though, the Xbox One is like a huge step up because I was still in 360 land. And we bought that. Like we years we ago. being like all of. My friends at the time pitched in like ten bucks, and that was his big fortieth birthday present. And surprise, surprise, he'll be fifty-one in March. So, um, so yeah, one of the games, of course, that I decided I was going to play and download because I've been a big Mortal Kombat fan since the days I was still at the arcade and the mall and the food court area and everything else. I uh, downloaded Mortal Kombat 11, got all the nice little bells and whistles with the extra you, He actually bought the game, like the Ultimate Edition. There are ways that you can buy the game without, like, or you can just rent it, like, using the Xbox Game Pass. But he actually purchased this because we both love Mortal Kombat. I feel bad. I haven't been playing. I've just kind of been, like, zipping around. Yeah, after all the, the shit talking she was I doing. I was playing it a lot when you first got... And then um, we got the other controller in, so we we battled out a few battles. I think we split it about even there. But, uh, yeah, since then, she's kind of just been very quiet on that front, which is kind of funny. But uh, I'm sure she'll uh, eventually get some time to get back into it. Hey, give me me the controller now. No. No? We're we're busy. (laughs) But, uh, 
It, it was fun. I mean, I whipped her ass a few times. It felt pretty good because after all that shit she was spewing about owning me and whatnot. Yeah, but you like, you're like a button smasher. You do like the same moves <laughs> over and over and over again. I Look, try just to... because I don't bend my fingers 50 different ways on the controller. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> she's like, it's like she's typing for a letter or something. She's like... <laughs> I use my thumb and my um, pointer finger on my left hand for like the movement and then to use the triggers but then on the other side where there's like all the buttons my right hand uses all the buttons and then when i need to get to the top buttons like the uh the trigger what they ought to just do with this game is what we saw in ready player one just have a suit sit on a little treadmill and then fight i'd like to see you do it oh yeah i would do it yeah let's I don't know if you would. However. However. We've been talking about how Mortal Kombat is getting rebooted as a movie. Uh, it has a date now of April 16, 2021, which will go to both theaters and HBO Max. Again, good thing. Um, yeah, we're liking HBO Max. Now, on the surface, as I'm reading a little synopsis of the plot here, I'm not as crazy about the plot because it's just... A little bit too samey to what they were doing in the first movie, which the first movie, you know, Fat Samurai Guy and another guy were they talking about Annihilation, the sequel. But it's like really crazy because the actual game itself, the Mortal Kombat Ultimate, has a whole bunch of storylines that would be great for a movie. And I was bringing that up is that like, the, and now granted, if this reboot does well, maybe they'll do a trilogy or something and start incorporating it. I don't know. But Neko's right. The storyline in the game itself, Mortal Kombat 11, is very awesome. Like, both, there's two different storylines. There's the main one and then Aftermath. And I think for what Mortal Kombat is, it, it just, it's far superior than what they've done in the past. Now, I haven't seen MK10. Some people say that's pretty good, but I don't know if it has a storyline in that one as well. I don't know. But the premise of this one coming up is based off MMA fighter Cole Young, accustomed to taking a beating for money, is unaware of his heritage or why Shang Tsung has sent his best warrior, Sub-Zero, an otherworldly cryomancer, to hunt Cole down. Fearing for his family's safety, Cole goes in search of Sonya Blade at the direction of Jax, a special forces major who bears the same strange dragon marking Cole's born with. Soon he finds himself at the temple of Lord Raiden, the protector, Lord Raiden. the protector of Earthrealm, who grants sanctuary to those who bear the mark. Here, Cold trains with experienced warriors Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and rogue mercenary Kano, which is surprising because Kano has always generally played a villain. Mm -hmm. uh, as he prepares to stand with Earth's greatest champions against the enemies of Outworld in high stakes battle for the universe. Now, the good thing about this, I've seen kind of the roster so far, and that they've kept it pretty pretty uh, short, which is usually their problem, is they always try to shove in about as many of these characters as they can. This is what they're not doing. Uh, we have Louis Tan as Cole Young, Jessica McNamee as Sonya Blade, uh, Tadanobi Asano as Raiden, uh, Makad Brooks as Jackson Jax Briggs, Ludi Lin as Liu Kang, Chin Han as Sang Sung, Hayoyoki Sonata as Scorpion. He's a big name there. Uh, Max Hong as Kung Lao. Sissy Stringer as Melina. 
And the only other notable name as far as a character I know is Daniel Nelson as Cabal. Um, did I mention they don't have Sub-Zero? Oh, yeah, yeah. Joe Taslam is Sub-Zero, so he's another big name in there. I know that Samurai Guy was really excited about those two guys being uh, portrayed in this film. I also... Uh, Chen Han, I think, was in uh, The Dark Knight. I'm not sure. I think he was one of the guys in Dark Knight. Well, click, click on his name. Yeah, let me um, see here real quick. I could have him totally confused with someone else. Yes, he was. He was the guy that was Batman went after in Hong Kong to get the money because he had all the money for mm -hmm. all the mobsters. So that's the dude from that. But he's been in... Contagion, uh, Winter Soldier, Independence Day Resurgence, but I didn't bother watching. So, uh, the good the, the good news from that kind of front now, this I can appreciate the first Mortal Kombat for what it was uh, in terms of um, who they got as actors. I knew why they did it. Uh, with this movie, they obviously are staying more true to their, hair, their actual ethnicity. Uh, we have a lot of Asian actors doing this, which is good. That's the kind of way you want it. Uh, except for American actors, of course, American characters. But, you don't uh, want Jax to be Asian? No, I said outside of that. No, I'm just fucking with <laughs> you. Uh, you know, as much as I love Christopher Lambert, he, he's really not Raiden, but, you know. No, he's not Raiden. At the time, you knew they were trying to, like, sell it because it was, like, the first adaptation of the game. When did that come out? I feel like I was in high 95, school. 95. Yeah, I was in high school when that came out and as I was telling you, like, Mortal Kombat was a big deal in my life going all the way back to when Mortal Kombat 2 was kind of when I got hooked. I, um, I used to go to the roller skating rink <laughs> and they had a little arcade there and you'd, you'd sit there and it would be like you'd put your quarters up and oh, yeah. to put yourself yeah. in line. Yep. And then like immediately. Like, yeah, it's like boom. I'm next, I'm next, I'm next. and the Mortal Kombat two machine was like one of the more expensive ones. It was like a seventy five center or something. So you're like, Yeah, me next, me next. And sometimes for me it was it was people watching, but like It became a thing. It was the, it was. It was a very big thing. Like all the cute boys were playing Mortal Kombat 2. It wasn't just like video games were for geeks anymore. That Mortal Kombat, because they, even back then, they were like taking it to the edge. And people were like, oh my god, he just ripped his head out of his body and the, the, the spine is still attached and like there's all this blood and... That was always kind of the thing, like, and I, one is... You would go there not only to watch these guys play because some were very good, uh, but two, they would discover all the the neat little bells and whistles that were inside the game. Now, uh -huh. I know I read at one point. I think at one point they had like Midway, who was the one that created the game, would uh -huh. send out someone to play the game, draw in kids, and show them all these different. So you're things. telling me I could have been at the at the roller skating rink, and there could have been like a rep from Midway who was maybe. Looked young, but was maybe a little bit older, and and Who he probably was he just was like, the plant. He yep. was the one there playing the game while we're all like lining up. Because I would line up and play too, and I I always kind of joke with you, like I I was just like this big nerdy comic book video game. I can't believe anybody found me attractive and wanted to marry me type person. 
you know, it was just fun. Like, you were at a very innocent place, you know. It's where the kids go on dates, the young teens, you're roller skating, you're having a good time, and boom, Mortal Kombat. Like, it's, it's right there. It's like calling you, beckoning you. It's glowing. There's a crowd. People are cheering. They'd be spending hours mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it was really a thing. And, like, it was so, so common. I'm sure you saw the same things, that you would go to this arcade every weekend, and you'd see the same guys there. Like, they were just living there on the weekends. Like, they'd come back, and they're like, all right, it's, it's like, Who's next? I'm the champ. Who wants pizza to champ? That's how it was. Well, like, it, was it was funny because, like... I would I went to the skating rink and it they had an arcade at the skating rink so it was like a double like flex because on Saturdays they had like skate races too so it's like oh they turn turn the lights up and everybody be skate racing and trying to out skate each other and then you'd have the guys with the fancy skates. They're like, yeah, I got my, my mods on my wheels, and I got new trucks, and blah, blah, blah. And they're over there playing Mortal Kombat, where, like, a year ago when there was nothing there, but, I don't know, I don't want to say nerdy games, but you know what I mean, where they would be the ones who are making fun of the kids playing Mortal Kombat when they're, like, the speed skaters or whatever, but it was something that everybody wanted to play. Yep. Uh, game is obviously based off, uh, the movie is obviously based off the game created by uh, Ed Boon and uh, John Tobias, which, when you take both their last name, spells out Noob Sabot. Hey! So, uh, if you didn't know that little piece of trivia, then you're not a real fan. <laughs> Anywho, uh, it's directed by Simon McQuoid and produced by James Wan, who's done a lot of uh, great stuff. So, be looking for that. Um, April 21st, 2021. This will be a few weeks after Godzilla and Kong, so we're all going to have a great lineup this year. Hopefully it all sticks. Hopefully. Um, I, I know that her and I will probably try to get to the theater to see a lot of these, but, you know, if we can't because of whatever shit's going on with COVID. Yeah, we got to watch ourselves since you and I both are around my mom and we can't be around, like, a bunch of mouth breathers. So <laughs> we will go, like, on a Tuesday night. Late at night. Late at no night. When we're the only two people, the nice thing about the theater near us, the one that they upgraded, and I have no idea why they upgraded this theater, because it's, like, not in the best neighborhood, number one, but all of the seats fully recline, so, oh, it's, oh, so, it's beautiful. so beautiful, and you can go online and be like, okay. And that's a really good one, because I still have my popcorn container. I that's right, it's, it's over here. Yeah, yeah, you become in the popcorn club, you bring your container, and they'll refill it for $5, and then... You go online to pick your, your seats, and they're reserved for you, so you can, it'll tell you, you're sitting in seat A3, and you go to your seat, and you can see how many people have bought tickets, so what we tend to do, because I think it's Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the discount days, we'll go at like 9.30 on a Tuesday, and there's pretty much five people, you know, I, and I know they have to operate it at, at lower capacity too but we definitely even if we may catch Godzilla and Kong and Mortal Kombat on HBO Max first I know we're going to want to catch it in the theater yeah it's too. certain movies you just got to see on a big screen like watching King of the Monsters and 
Uh, Godzilla 2014 is just a must. So obviously Kong and Godzilla will be in the theaters at some point. So, but yeah, I'll be looking for Mortal Kombat. A lot of people are excited because it is R-rated, which is good. Oh shit, dog! They, and they've said that there's going to be some very interesting fatalities. So I hope they do. Like I, what we're seeing from Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, we are seeing some creative fatalities that are fucking brutal. I was telling Neko that. Um, one character, Rain, uh, has a fatality at the end where they pay homage to um, Queens oh, beholding yeah, Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny, uh, just some of the stuff. Now, I don't know how crazy the movie's going to get, but uh, we'll see. All right, let's get back into some music. All new stuff coming your way with Gate Creeper, Paymethith, and Demoted kicking it off with Back to the Grave. Forever, it up 
Hello everybody, this is Mike from Blacksmith Legacy and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Getting ready to get into our rock block here. New stuff from Cat, The Sonic Dawn, which is an awesome record. Uh, Ethereal C. Ethereal. Ethereal, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> Neko's Pick of the Week. And uh, Prestis- Prest- Prestismo. I'll get to that a little bit later Prestissimo? on. Prestissimo? Prestissimo, yeah. Prestissimo. Prestissimo. It's Italian. Uh, he contacted me about playing this track, and we'll talk about it when it's played. Kicking it off, though, from the Metals PR, Perilla doing some Nirvana. Can I ask you a question before we have the Nirvana cover? Yeah. So, you know, there's always been so many genres of music. I'm not even talking about, like, just today, but think about back in the day. You had Elvis. You had, you know, country and western. You had bluegrass. Like, so you and I are a little bit older than children. Clearly, we're both middle-aged, but... What do you think drew you to rock? Because your parents are, like, not really rock people. And I know for me, like, my parents were always big fans of classic rock and 80s rock and, you know, like, just in general. So what do you think that was, like, the thing that kind of got you into rock? Um, well, part of it, obviously, was... At night, I would just turn on the radio and I gravitated towards stuff like the Eagles or Steve Miller Band, Gary Wright, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my babysitter at the time used to take me to a lot of drive-in movies as well. Like, she was your typical 70s hippie chick. And uh, she used to listen to, you know, like, I, I don't remember who sings it, but it's Joy to the World. Uh, I think it's Credence. Yeah, so, you know, she was a terrible lot of rock stuff, too. So I just, I, I don't know, I just gravitated to that kind of stuff. I mean, it got played on the radio a lot. I feel like a lot of classic rock, too, is not given the, the due it's owed. The singers are harmonizing. They're so charismatic. And then you have the musicians where they're, you know, I feel like, the classic rock genre we um we and younger kids and maybe not all younger kids are i don't want i don't want to say they're just they're just missing out i something about the rock the original rock genre where you take something and you create this amazing loud harmonizing sound is it just for me was breathtaking and I grew up with it so it was always on you know like Boston Journey Sabbath etc so it was it was always kind of on the background while you're driving in the car mom and dad going you know just to pick up a VCR rental or whatever but it for me it was there for you like your parents weren't super into it so I always wondered how like you your first experience just getting into 
Yeah, it was mainly radio, and then of course when the 80s came around, MTV, like that influenced a lot of my taste, because um, that's where I saw Motley Crue, Rat, Van Halo, and stuff like that when it was big. Like, you, you weren't gonna. You s- kids today have no idea what MTV was. Right. Um, but yeah, that was a base of my influence. That shaped how I like music, and it just kind of gravitated heavier, heavier mm-hmm. at that point. So. I, you know, when I met you, I told you I liked heavy metal, but I only knew just like one pie piece of heavy metal. And then if you think of a Trivial Pursuit circle, there's like, you know, six pie pieces. And he's like, well, this is another pie piece. And this is another pie piece. And I'm like, this is just so crazy that there's so much music around. It's mind blowing that, and some of this stuff has been around for so long and you shared it with me. And I couldn't believe that I missed out on it. And I'm hoping through this little podcast that we have for you you're hearing some new things or hearing some things that maybe will spark your interest into doing a deep dive into metal and rock and not everything anubis and i always talk about this yes we love metal yes we love rock but he and i don't agree 100 percent on things i'm i'm like yeah maybe i don't like that and sometimes some of the stuff that i say I like he's like yeah it's a little it's a little weaker eh, it's not my style but always keep discovering new music that's how we keep it alive after covid go to fucking local shows even if it's just like Joe's uncle's local band playing covers because if we don't do that it's going to die away and we're going to get stuck with commercialized bullshit and that's all we're going to have yeah said it best All right, well, here's Perilla, Breed.
fan want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
is Prestissimo. I still fucked it up. <laughs> Prestissimo. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like, a lot. Like, a whole, whole, whole lot. Yeah, really good uh, guy named Ian Zeraldo, who is the uh, musician behind the music, sent me that track. He also sent me a link to uh, some more of his stuff, which I'll get to this week. So... What do you know about Prestissimo? Because uh, I, this is the first time I've heard it, which is because of you and because of Ian sending it to you. Are they um, are they Italian? Because that's what it, it sounded like. The, the name of the band sounds Italian. Uh, it could be. I don't know much about the project itself. I have to look into it more. But um, I felt bad because initially he sent me the instant message on Facebook. And oh, you didn't get the... the um, notification. Well, I probably did. I didn't see it, but it came in late December. Oh no! So I, I wrote him back and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just now seeing this, but I'm, I'm more than happy to play it because he described what his music was, and uh, I said, oh yeah, well I really like Danheim and Ivar Bornson and Einar Selvik, uh, their stuff, the the Viking pagan stuff that you like on the mm -hmm. record too so he's like oh yeah i like i love einar selvich's work so so you said they're on Bandcamp, right uh yeah he is on Bandcamp. uh also soundcloud i believe okay i just pulled him i'm trying to pull him up on Bandcamp for stissimo mm -hmm. is this them um walnut creek california genre metal dark acoustic extreme symphonic yeah that's probably it i just want to make sure because he gave the link so it would be prestissimo.bandcamp.com slash yum slash yum they have some of their music up there well it's he, it's him he's a one-man project yep. ian is yep. so it's almost like debut it's a one-man project it's a one-man project this is pretty badass and this was the fire chant correct mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i need to listen to more of this because there's something about the song that the music itself creates its own atmosphere and i know it was kind of like you had some humming and whoa and, and stuff like that but I don't know. Does this say even have uh, you can buy vinyl the, or anything? You can buy the digital discography. Um, let me see. Yeah, I don't see any vinyl, but that's yeah, probably Yeah, that's wonderful. what I was going to say. That would be great on vinyl. Um, I'm going to click follow. Click on Bandcamp. Oh, Got to sign in, please. I know, right? <laughs> but I, I really, really like them. I, um, I would love to hear more from or should do you say them or him or him because but I, I would tell ian that like it sounds he, like if, an entire band it's very cohesive he, he put can, it together if he can find a way financially to put some of this stuff on vinyl do it because i will buy it uh the band that i played before that um the Sonic Dawn, their new record's really good. I, I actually bought that on vinyl. I'll be getting that yes, soon. I thought that's not the one you got yet? No. You, what, I, what was I got the one that came the other day? Slift. Okay. Yeah. And Ethereal C, I was actually, I went upstairs to get some snacks and wine, and uh, I heard him playing it, and I'm like, this is really good. What is this? He's like, yeah, it's the one I can't pronounce. <laughs> well, I say... Ethereal, but ethereal. 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 Like I, I mean, know. that's. I'm, I'm terrible at pronouncing shit. Me so. too. Um, Sorry, I'm eating my. We're snacks. all eating and drinking, so that's probably <laughs> our, our uh, habit here with 
doing a radio show, so we apologize. So professional. But, I, you know, I did the Sonic Dawn song, uh, Prestissimo. Prestissimo. And, and now we're, we're going to go into your pick of the week. That's which right. all has a similar vibe about it, which I like doing, because that's what I do. Well, one thing I love is that you do all the work, and I just come and be your sidekick. Yeah. Is that- <laughs> You're, yeah. you're like you're, we'll get to it later with Titans, but you're like Batman or Robin who hates Batman because he doesn't get enough of the shine light on him. I don't need any shine. I am the shine. You're the <laughs> one who does all the hard work. I'm the one who's like the. She's like, yeah, work smarter, not harder, mm-hmm. dickhead. No, but what I really appreciate, again, what I was kind of speaking to before we went into our rock block. About support your local bands, blah, blah, blah. All this music industry is just going to go away if we don't keep supporting our bands. We are kind of in a very interesting world right now where we have technology in our pocket with our smartphones. You literally... I, I forgot there. What there's been several movies that they're like, yeah, we shot this documentary on an iPhone. And I'm like, holy shit, it's amazing. We now can produce our own records and get our shit out there ourselves, but as fans and the general public, you have to sit and support what you believe in. So if music is your thing, go to the live bands, buy the albums, buy the merchandise. We've been trying to. We need more stickers, so we're going to have to reach out again to our our favorite bands. Well, you still need to do your thing about the liner. I know. We're going to have to work on that, too. Yeah. But I will say this, uh, and this is one reason why when, when I started restarted the podcast, I wanted to incorporate the rock part into it because guys like this, Ian, you know, here doing a fabulous work with his project, normally I wouldn't get to this. Like, when I just was doing a rock in a hard place, that was always like a one-off thing here and there. And you, when you do rock in a hard place, you start, like, really thinking of, like, rock. Right. Like, oh. Uh, Sister. So when I'm doing the rock blocks, I, I find ways to incorporate stuff that can be borderline metal or rock or post-rock. I just throw all the genres in the rock there. Well, that, um, Perilla? Perilla? Perilla, yeah. They, that cover of Breed mm-hmm. was beautiful, and it made me say, while we were sitting here, I miss the 90s, I miss alternative rock. Rock music is in a weird kind of, like subsect right now that they're kind of like pushing for rockers to be more popular they're going on tv shows they're like you know their music is becoming more poppy whereas when we were younger i feel like the rock music was kind of like a 180 it was like this is these are the bad and we're wearing our, our tight pants and our leather jackets and we don't give a shit. We're going to dye our hair and wear makeup and do whatever we want. Nowadays, like, everybody dyes their hair, everybody wears tight pants, everybody wears makeup, so it's like, oh, you're not shocking anybody anymore. And the rock bands, when they actually start, you know, breaking through, when they are a little bit more popular, you see them kind of shift a little to be like appeasing in the popular music genre i mean i love rock music how did we come to your pick of the week oh well we were watching a specific movie not too long ago (laughs) Speaking speaking of which and it was kind of crazy because 
this movie has, or this song has been covered by The Who and by Elton John, Sir Elton John, and... Who was in the movie? Who was in the movie? Tommy, yes. And the thing about this song is just, you and I were just dicking around one night, and for whatever reason, I said I wanted to watch uh, Tommy, and it was on one of our apps somehow magically and we watched the whole thing and I'm like I really need to watch this on acid one day even though I've never done acid but I feel like it sh- it should be watched oh, yeah. on acid yeah. like and that back then like that kind of stuff that the, the wizard wall. of oz the wall like and we um I remember the time that we watched The Wizard of Oz and we timed it with Dark Side of the Moon, but we were really drunk, so we had to flip the... Because he has Dark Side of, of the Moon on cassette, so we had to, like, pause and flip the cassette. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a crazy thing. So, this was pretty recent. This has been since I've been home. I'm like, we gotta watch Tommy, and he's like, alright. And the one thing I love about this song again, to speak to the classic rock of the 70s and and 60s and 80s and beyond, I feel like it was like, even though Tommy is a big acid trip, the music is superior musicianship. You've got the keyboards, you have amazing singing, you have some harmonization. It was talent. And they all did it stoned. And I I mean, it just, it's beautiful. So, without further ado, this week, in dedication to Tommy, and there is a musical, Tommy, too, like on Broadway, but the movie Tommy, the Broadway musical Tommy, we're going to listen to Pinball Wizard by The Who, sorry, Elton, and uh, here we go. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Neko's pick of the week. Mean 
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright. New stuff from Cat. Doing cover ACDC. Closing us out of the rock block. You know, ACDC is one of my most favorite bands. And. Never knew that. I know. You know, every time karaoke comes by, it's like, yeah, shut me up, not long. But we were talking during the, the break. I feel kind of depressed, which I shouldn't because depression sucks, And but I've always admired the band, you know, from afar. I have never bought ACDC tickets or they haven't come around, and I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Like, well, they're not cheap for one, seeing them live. They're just at a stage where I like Kiss and... Yeah, but they're also old, and I don't think they're going to be touring. Mm, then it might be because Johnson's back, so and they just put out a new record. Oh, maybe they will then if they put out a new record. Yeah, then. A new record is really good. So uh, they still put out quality stuff. I don't know. Oh, how yeah, much, they do. I don't know how much they'll be touring, but their record—not this one—I haven't heard yet, but the one before, which was like two years ago, it sounded like ACDC. Mm-hmm. It sounded like you shook me all night long. It sound it was it wasn't degraded. It sounded like a true. No, the last couple yeah. of records are really good. Even so, Black Ice wasn't too bad. So I was really happy about that for their last album. Now I haven't heard this new album yet, so I'm, yeah, I'll be I'll be great. I'll be really happy to hear it. So I really hope one day, maybe, just maybe, just just maybe, I will be able to see ACDC. It's kind of funny because Ghost. It's kind of getting up there now because they're like super popular and whatever. The first time we saw them was in a record store. Actually, no. The first time we didn't even pay attention to them was at Maryland Death Fest. Yeah. We were like, these people are posers. Who are they? Well, I didn't really say that. It wasn't my turn. I said that. Jason was really into them, but... Yeah, our friend Jason was really into them. I didn't really understand what they were doing. I was the one making fun of them. And I'm number one, I'm the number one stunner when it comes to people who go into the macabre, who are into makeup and outfits and a whole scene. And they have taken it to the next level. They have stories. If you go onto their, like, Twitter and stuff, they always put out little, like, vignettes of what their ideas are. So, this is before any of that happened, before they they got big, before they won a Grammy or anything. I'm making fun of them, because I'm like, who do do they think they are? And we were busy, like, drinking beer and watching another band, so we didn't even go see them. The first time I saw them was several years ago, in a record store, and it was very intimate and free and beautiful, and we had a really good time. And then we saw them in a medium-sized venue, which was packed, you know, assholes to elbows, as they say. And they were, you know, kicking up steam. Then they went to the Hippodrome. And we were like, "Uh, we're not paying hundreds of dollars to get a seat 
to see ghosts. Not that they're not worth it, because I sound like a hypocrite because I'm like, oh, support your bands and stuff. But I were the best at Fillmore. That, that was the just... Fillmore is a very intimate yet medium to large place, and we were in the perfect corner. We had a bar right next to us so we could keep enjoying ourselves, and it was a very intimate yet spectacular type show. And when you the Hippodrome is a fairly large theater large shows come through like actual touring shows of broadway shows and the the nutcracker for for example comes through every december with the the royal the royal russian uh ballet and all like hamilton everything you can think of that is out there so now they're at this point where they're huge but we saw them when they were playing in a record store. I wish I could say that about ACDC, but they started before I was born. <laughs> so, we have HBO Max, and I'm not sure how we have it, because we're not really paying for it. We don't know that, though. We, but we I, really don't know. We, we, we don't have, have any idea how we We don't know it. how it happened. So... Anubis went on our Roku TV, and that's how we have all of our apps. I'm pretty sure it's through Verizon. It's either through Verizon or because you tried doing it, signing in through AT&T. It kept hanging up; it wasn't working. I got it. I got an email saying that you know you qualify for free HBO Max with your plan through AT&T, our cellular phone provider. And every time I tried to sign up for it, it would just hang up, and it would be really annoying. He just went on the remote control and signed up, and we're not sure how we have it. But we have it, and we're happy about it, because there's great movies and great shows, and we've decided, because we're going to cancel cable now that football is over, we've decided we're going to cancel cable, and if this goes away, we're still paying for it. We're going to, like, log on to HBO Max online, it's, and it's, worth, it's it. worth it to us. It's not super expensive, maybe about $14 a month. And the reason why it's worth it, because the show that we're talking about now was initially on the DC Comics app, which is on, you know, Roku. Is, is that even happening anymore, though? I haven't, I haven't heard or seen much about it. Well, we don't have it. We don't pay for it, so that's why we don't... No, but I mean, just in general, in the news or, well, or anything. Know. But anyway, HLM Max got, like, the first couple of seasons of Titans, and obviously this all plays upon, uh, you know, Robin and Batman and all that lore... So in the 90s, they started another comic book and another um, comic TV show of Titans. They even did Teen Titans, which was a, a, a cartoon for kids. So as a comic book person, it was, it was later in my life that I kind of like missed this Titans. So I don't know much, much about it, which made me kind of excited to watch it because... I feel like when I watch, like, the Spider-Man movies or the X... Because I was really into X-Men when I was a kid. I get a little bit nitpicky. And I get a little disappointed because I'm like, that's not how it happened. And then we're talking about, like, the... Was it Thor Ragnarok with the Hulk? And I'm like, so this is really more of a Hulk comic because they took this from the Hulk 
Planet Hawk comic, and this is a different story. What I loved about this, I had no fucking clue what was going on. So I felt coming in with fresh eyes was great. I had nothing to complain about. I had nothing to compare it to. And the acting is superior to what DC has been putting out in a long time. I mean... Yeah, I don't know why, like, with DC, like, there's been iffy things about WandaVision I've heard people say, which I can kind of understand, but in DC's case, when it comes to storytelling and fleshing out characters and stuff, Titans is much better than what they've done with the movies. Like, it's really weird. They have... DC, maybe... Except for the Nolan trilogy. I'll stand by that all day long, but... Well, that's the Dark Knight trilogy, and that happened in the early 90s, and they had the whole, uh... They had the whole thing kind of already mapped out in front of them. Yeah, because no one had a plan, but, you know, the rest of the assholes don't have any plan. But in this case, uh, with the Titans show, they seem to have something of remotely a good, uh... plan in place, a good script and everything else, and... A lot of the, the actors and actresses I do not I'm not familiar with, so that's kind of good. They're all fresh faces. Um, there is one the guy who plays Deathstroke. I've seen him somewhere before. I just can't remember where, um, but he does a really good job with that uh, villain. You have other actors like Brenton uh, Thwaites, who plays Dick Grayson, aka Robin. Um, Don Granger, played by Mika Kelly. So there's a lot of different um, actors and actresses in this, but basically it's almost like Justice League made for the B-rated team, really. It's not like... It started off, like I said, Teen Titans. So they were, they're all young. And it had Robin as the, you know, the head, or I don't know. Leader. A leader. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what to call it. But they've taken this into a darker side of the Titans story. And what I really, really liked, again, coming in with a blind eye and not knowing much of the story, I knew who these people were just in passing. But when you see the creativity in the story writing and you see, like, this is what happens this is Rose's dad, and Rose's dad did this, and blah, blah, blah. It's just so well written, and I'm not, I don't want to give any spoilers. That's why I'm kind of being vague about all of this. Yeah, the first season basically deals with it Rachel sets Roth. sets it up. Rachel Roth and how she's a young teen who discovers that she has a lot of power and doesn't know exactly what to do with it. And, of course, the first season deals with that whole aspect of it. Season two, of course, as I said, about Deathstroke and how he played a part in the uh, rivalry with the Titans, at, you know, before all these new ones came along. So he's a long-standing villain uh, opposition to them, but has ties in with, like, one of the other uh, Titans that becomes a Titan and such and such. So there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of twists and turns here and there with characters uh, really good acting, as Neko said. Um, you know, you're gonna find this series if it, it, it's all right. Like, it's one of the problems for me sometimes. If I don't know the characters, I can't really find interest in it. This isn't the case. Mm-mm. I took a chance they on take, it. They take on their characters, and they own they yeah. own the screen. It's amazing. I I love. I mean, 
comic books, anime. Again, big nerd. 40-year-old nerd right here. So when I find something that I'm not familiar with and you blow me away with your acting and your storylines, and I probably should have been a little nerdier and read up on this and when I was younger, when it first, you know, the Titan storyline came out. Now, granted, I'm sure there is someone who followed the comics closer than I, because I always was a Marvel person versus DC, and there's probably a person out there who was a DC versus Marvel, and they're like, oh, it's deviating from the story, and I know I do that a lot with Marvel books, but this, to me, is the best thing I've seen from DC in a long time time honestly what do you think yeah definitely uh definitely the best thing post nolan trilogy <laughs> um, it's just so I love like I, I like i would want to like look i like gal gadot as wonder woman i like the first movie for the most part yeah but you like wonder but girl it, but then it followed up with the bomb that was 84 and they kind of set themselves back movie-wise. like they And they keep thinking they're going to capitalize on all this stuff, but they're not able to do it. Now, Titans is a whole different animal. It, it really works. And, as you, yeah, they do have characters that are, like, we find out there's more than one Robin. We find out that... Well, we, I knew there was more than one Robin. See, I didn't. But, <laughs> you know, we find out Wonder Woman has other Amazonians I'm, who... You uh, didn't know that there was more than one Amazonian? Well, I knew they existed because of the movies, but but like, they're on a different planet, not or island. Excuse me, an island. Yeah, uh, but I didn't know that there were other fighters in the league, like and all that stuff. So I always thought it was just Wonder Woman. That was it. She was the only one that escaped. <laughs> uh, I thought she was the only one that gave a shit. You know, you listen to the rest of the island. I mean, it's all feminist. But it, that's what that's what was interesting too when um, Wonder Girl she was trying to face her destiny who she, her her um wonder woman took her under her tutelage and was totally you know grooming her to be able to do what her destiny was and it was it's very interesting because you see it from okay this is a superhero but this is also a very young girl who might be 25 if that and she has dealt with so much and as a as a person who used to be a young girl, you start thinking in your head, okay, so now you've got these demands from your life, plus you're trying to be young and happy. So they wrote it so well. I I have to do more research to see who the writers are and the directors are because it it is just put together so beautifully. Yeah, worth a while. It's on HBO Max. Um... If you have it, check it out. It's very good. All right, well, we're going to get back into some music. Uh, new stuff from Curse of Decay and Interador. But we're going to kick it off some good stuff from Unleashed. Lead us into war. Lead us into war.
Crow from Venus, a trash metal band from Chile, and you are listening to Metal Table Radio. Alright, we are back. This is DJ Neko. DJ Nibis, episode 100 of the Hordes of Chaos. So, we were talking earlier, and we always talk about this, where people will take art, slash music, slash books, slash anything, movies, and if you participate in a, let's say you participate in a movie that depicts, like, raping children... Or if you have a song that might be about something deadly or horrible, is that you or is that the music slash your art? And we think about this all the time because sometimes you see movies, let's take a classic, Silence of the Lambs. Are you going to like say that Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter and he's a horrible human being because he did that movie or are you just saying he's a brilliant actor for taking his acting skills up to another level to portray someone that horrible or do you say the person who wrote The Silence of the Lambs is a sick individual or do you say that person is very creative and they had this amazing crime drama thriller horror movie that they book slash movie that they created a lot of times in music i mean i really feel like music is the one that gets singled out don't you where somebody might be writing about something or they their personal life might reflect something that you don't care for We always ask, how do you separate the artist from the art? And I hate when someone says just because you support something or you listen to something that you feel is creative or you enjoy, but it may not be so uh, PC, that you automatically are a racist or homophobe or whatever. It's important to understand that without creativity and without a little bit of darkness, you're not going to get something interesting. So. Well, it it goes beyond that, though. Um, A lot of times it's, you know, we talk about black metal and some of the ideology behind it. And, you know, one of the things that, again, that we kind of miss is I listen to various bands that sing about different things. Uh, naturally, I don't sing. I don't listen to a lot of bands that promote racism or you know Nazi stuff like that. But I've heard bands and enjoyed certain pieces of their music, like Verzum. Like most of the stuff that I've ever liked from Verzum was like instrumental ambient but sometimes you listen to it and you appreciate the musicality of it because you're like wow right. and, this and, is really talented and Var- but, and Varg but, is an but the words are awful but Varg is not a very good human being we know this mm-hmm. but I can separate him from the music itself 
Uh, now, the reason why all this comes up is um, Matt Harvey, the frontman for Exhumed and Gruesome and bands like that, wrote a piece uh, a while back uh, basically talking about this because at the time, about a year and a half ago, a lot of these guys that I knew on Facebook and social media were saying, oh, fuck black metal, NSBM, all this shit, you know, mm -hmm. they all of a sudden became trendy to like all of a sudden dislike this kind of music when these are the same people one that would listen to this music early on and like worship these bands and then mm -hmm. two uh never spoke up back then about it. like all of a sudden became tr you know this in thing in vogue thing to do and uh i don't know matt harvey to me he wrote this piece that one it was on decibel magazine for a while um it's no longer there i went to go to the link and it wasn't there so i'm not sure why it's not there but metal devastation radio the company that we work with with promotions and stuff do have the article that he wrote and uh he makes a lot of great points about this whole thing and the, the basis of the topic of the article is on why you can't censor nsbm or those who distribute it this is two things. One, the bands and artists who play the music and sing about it, and the labels and stuff that release it. And this is what he's going to go into. He's like, uh, so he goes through and says, I was very proud and excited when they approached me about reissuing Exhumed Slaughter Call. This is about the uh, Hell's Headbangers uh, label. Uh, and they did an excellent job with it. And lastly, my strongly held personal conviction is that Nazium, Nazism, fascism, and racism are disgusting, small-minded, irrational, and factually incorrect ideologies that belonged on the trash heap of history. Now, keep a note of that. He says, That said, I'm going to defend not only HHR's choice to carry NSBM stuff in their distro, but the presence of NSBM in the scene and community itself. So, if you want to stop reading here and say, Fuck that guy, I understand your urge to do so. If you are at least going to stick with me until the end of this paragraph, here's the meat of my argument. Medical is apolitical. Insofar as it owes no intrinsic allegiance to any specific ideology. I've said this before because to me, metal is about individualism, not one thing or the other. It can mean something to one person and something else to somebody else. Um, where was I? Oh, okay, so for a counterexample, a white power hip-hop artist is inconceivable, right? Metal doesn't come with any real fixed socio- socio-political viewpoint that way. Sure, politics have been present in metal since Black Sabbath decried the war pigs of the Vietnam era, but the genre as a whole has no inherent political slant and has for a very long time given voice to opinions on all sides of the spectrum. For every war pigs, you can find a song like Morbid Angel's NRA Ready Anthem, Dawn of the Angry, or Man of War's Extremely Hawkish, Violence and Bloodshed. Even Metallica went from songs that were at least cynical about war and its consequences, worn and disposable heroes, to pinning a song like Don't Tread on Me, whose saber-rattling lyrics were directly inspired by the onset of the first Gulf War and read like every gun-toting, pickup-driving American, American's personal manifesto. If you expect a genre as diverse as metal, and with the depth of complexity of metal to conform to your particular viewpoint, or any particular viewpoint, left, right, satanic, Christian, you're going to be disappointed. I've said this before. We listen to a lot of black metal, a lot of dark music, but we don't worship Satan, nor are we occultists. 
uh, we listen to Christian bands, but we are not Christian. So we can separate the artists from the music and the lyrics that are being presented. If the music's enjoyable, we will be into it. As a metal fan and musician, that I will encounter artists, fans, and art that I will disagree with politically and personally. I mean, some people out there actually like Fentrol. What the fuck is up with that? That's his little joke. <laughs> and I've made my peace with that long ago. All I can control is my own actions and choices, not those of anyone else, regardless of how wrong those choices may be. Because make no mistake, bands like Absurd and Greyland are wrong. They are not wrong in my opinion. They are straight up wrong, morally and factually. So why would I defend their presence in our scene? I think the best way to answer that question will take a bit of patience on the part of anyone reading this. Having begun the metal, having begun with metal is not inherently signed politically. For those of you I already lost after the first paragraph, it follows that if we take an honest, objective look at what metal is and what it stands for, the answer is that aesthetically, the presence of bands that hold viewpoints that I, viewpoints that I find odious makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to read all this to you all, but just it's on MetalDevastationRadio.com. It's a great article. But Matt touches on a lot of things that I've been trying to touch on. He did it a lot more eloquently than I did. And he pointed out to a lot of things that I've been pointing out. Like, people get so up in arms about Nazi symbolism and all this other stuff that's going on in Black But Black. we celebrate these serial killer documentaries, which is... How is that any different? Well, I'm going to go a step further. I just go back to, look... Um, death metal uh many of those bands sing about chainsaw men and women up and i'm like is that really i mean we know it's not a good thing but we're not out there turning ourselves into killers because of it you know what i'm saying there, we, we're smart enough it's a, a symbolic expression of their it's their friday the 13th it's their you know freddy krueger they're creating their own like I don't know, element with a song. And we celebrate these. How many people have watched the Night Stalker documentary that just came out on um, Netflix? How many people watch The Ripper on Netflix? How many people have watched all these horrible documentaries that have... There's one that's called Don't Fuck With Cats I Won't Even Watch because mm -hmm. it's about, you know, doing bad things to cats that they put on the internet, but they ended up catching the person so these are real actual things that have happened that we celebrate by making documentaries and we're doing it under the guise of educating the public but when somebody is writing a fictional song about satanism or nazism or anything we are so quick to you know hold them accountable for quote unquote their views we don't do that to documentaries, we don't do that to movies, and we don't do that to people who write books. But when you write a song, you automatically are saying, I support this. Just because it, you're singing it, and just because it is a song about something bad. However, other types of art and other works, whether it be plays, books, movies, documentaries, whatever, we don't do that to the actors and the writers, but we do it to the singers and the songwriters who sing about these things. 
just because they're singing about these things doesn't mean that they're actual occultists or Satanists. Another, to- another excerpt from his, his article. Metal is an art form with 100% artistic freedom in terms of its lyrical and aesthetic components. It's a style of music where all lyrical and aesthetic concepts can be explored, whether you want to sing about ancient history, cannibalism, politics, aliens, or unfortunately white power. You can do it here. Popular music by definition needs to be popular, and generally speaking, lyrics to songs like Creeping Death, Number of the Beast, and Painkiller are not safe bets on what becomes popular. I can't imagine Adele writing a song about a Zeppelin crash like Maiden just did, let alone about the ghost of a stillborn baby haunting an inherited house like King Diamond did. Speaking for myself, I want to be able to create art within a completely unfettered realm that metal is, fully aware that the freedom will invariably be abused by a few idiots rather than have metal sanitized so that it conforms to any ideology or set of standards, even my own. Kind of like what you were saying about Vard. We know he is... Piece of junk. Yeah. And we also know that Weinstein is also a a terrible person. So one of my favorite movies is Silver Linings Playbook, which is from the Weinstein Company. So am I supporting Weinstein by watching that movie? Well, not even so much that. Like, now... Like, are we supposed to feel guilt because we've seen all these movies? Yeah, that were made by him. Or if you purchased Silver's Lion, because I know you have it on DVD, do you go and burn it now? I mean, that's the thing that people, some people will argue, yeah, you should. But then on the other hand, like, this is what we're talking about. You have to be able to separate certain things. Like, you don't have to... you don't have to admire Harvey Weinstein as a as a guy, a human being, but his company was able to produce some very good movies that deal with a lot of different topics that have nothing to do with what he did. Musically, there's some guys that probably I mean we let, let's look at Tim from um, As I Lay Dying mm-hmm. and uh, Austrian Death Machine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This guy tried to hire someone to kill his ex-wife. He was a Christian. So, he does some very cool shit with Austrian Death Machine. Yeah, we think it's hysterical, but right. I don't support him killing his wife. Or trying to. or tr- Yeah, allegedly trying to. I mean, he served some time in jail, and he's going to be getting out, but the point is, as a human being, yeah, you know, he's not very good, but, like, his art is good. And as long as, you know, I, I don't really, like, when it comes to, like, Burzum and stuff, I don't own any of that stuff. But that's your personal taste. Right, but if I play a track, I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm just not. And that, would, Okay, would you feel guilty about uh, watching Silence of the Lambs? No, but, 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 but is, we're not talking about like fictional characters But here. see, things are fictional in these songs. Yeah. The songs song. are fictional. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm going at. The, we celebrate people who create amazing novels. We celebrate people who do amazing jobs of being actors and getting awards for portraying these horrible roles. Yet musicians, when they breach those subjects of, you know, cutting up people and killing them, we, we, not we, but society 
kind of says, oh, you're turning, you're going to turn the young people into murderers. You're going to turn everything. And it, it's vice versa. As soon as somebody in the metal community does something even a tiny bit wrong, it's like immediately all of their, like, they were trying to blame Marilyn Manson for the Columbine shootings. Just because they're Marilyn Manson fans does not mean they're not psychopaths. That is the problem that arises in music, especially with metal. If you want to sing or write about a terrible, horrible act, you're looked upon as either inciting a terrible, horrible act, whether it be violence or Nazism or like abusing women, etc. Or you are now that you've sang about it, you are already this terrible, horrible person. But if you're an author or an actor and you're portraying, I, I always go back to Silence of the Lambs because it is one of my favorite movies and it's horrible, like what happened, but it was so beautifully done and everybody's like oh my god this movie is such a thriller and it's so great and you know uh anthony hopkins and but you don't do that with metal all you do is like just the mainstream society just looks at it like oh metal causes all problems marilyn manson they 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 made the columbine shooters kill people i don't think it's fair and i feel like as adults we're smarter than that I mean, we are. I, I can't get. I I can't just be any more blunt, and I don't think you have to be smarter than that. You can't be. To me, anyone who like bitches about NSBM and then not about everything else in metal, it's just lazy analysis. It really is. Um, I personally have friends who I love very much in the metal scene, who think Varg is a piece of junk, but then like we'll celebrate guys like Gigi Allen. You, you can't do that. That's a that's a very hypocritical way of approaching things. It's lazy. Uh, I can appreciate that you appreciate Gigi Allen. I don't really get his whole shtick or what he was about, and I don't care. Um, that's the freedom of, of personal taste. Um, but it doesn't mean Gigi Allen was a, a great human being. But you appreciate the music and art that he created. It, it goes back to the same thing that we've been running circles around since the day we started this podcast. The art, a.k.a. the music, the book, the movie, is separate from the artist. Whether the art is something you don't agree with or the artist is something you don't agree with. Just because, let's say, wholesome Patty Duke mom next door decides she's going to write about or sing a song about murdering her entire family because she's fed up with how she's been treated. People would probably be like, oh, I'm so on your side. Like, oh my God, you know, you're, you're wholesome Patty Duke woman. But yet, we can't enjoy, like, the whole Michael Jackson thing, whether did he commit these horrible acts on children or didn't he, there's not enough evidence, blah, blah, blah. It's a hard line that people are trying to draw. I will always love Michael Jackson's music. Even though I'm a metalhead, I will. And even metalheads love Michael Jackson's music. But what your opinion on him is 
should be completely separate than the music. I, um, as a dance teacher, we use Michael Jackson's music a lot, and we have these little dance teacher groups on Facebook where it comes up a lot, a lot, where should we use Michael Jackson's music because we're promoting, you know, the exploitation of children and blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's possible to just say never listen to Michael Jackson ever again. And he's one of the easiest people to say because everybody knows who he is and they also all know the scandal that went on. How do you just say yes or no to something that simple? Am I just going to throw out my love for his music just because there are alleged cases against him? It's a tough, tough subject and unfortunately in society and because we have social media and everybody hates each other and we're all gonna like fight no matter what we do because we're human beings you're gonna have people say if you have someone who supports a terrible cause and you like their music that means you too support a terrible cause well we're gonna close out with this um, in okay his, in his article and this is kind of what we're getting to where we talk about how many bands or artists are really into the whole like racism thing and that it's a very small percentage. So going into this, he's, he's one of the paragraphs he has and I strongly urge people to read this. I was debating omitting this, but I've danced around it already. The slippery slope defense that we often hear. If we take down a statue of Robert E. Lee, what's next? Take down a statue of George Washington? I don't have time or patience to get into why that's a stupid argument when it comes to Confederate monuments that are taken down legally but with metal. The slippery slope defense makes a lot of sense. For the sake of argument, say you stopped all the overtly NSBM bands from having visible places to promote themselves. Now what? Where do you draw the line? Is Slayer unacceptable due to their adaptation of Nazi imagery? Or is Slayer okay because Tom Array is a Chilean or because he didn't explicitly endorse Josef Mengele. Do you reconsider Pantera after filling some of those Kyle and sketchy stage banter and Dimes Confederate flag and blazing guitars? Is Viking metal inherently a white identity-based subgenre? How much distinction is there between the imagery of neo-folk white power bands and Viking metal pagan acts? And is it enough? How much behavior do you need to witness before you can judge someone you've never met? How much do you believe people can change? And if they can change, can you forgive them? The answers to these questions are all the same. I don't know because nobody knows. Basically, uh, really what I've gotten out of that is you have to be careful of opening up Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Um, once you start going down that path, and I've, I've said it before with so many things, and this is why guys like D. Snyder did what they did back in the 80s, is because... Sometimes the government will try to do things like this, and when they do, it's going to open up a, a thing where your movies are going to be regulated, the things you watch TV-wise, music you listen to. It will be it will go well beyond the parental advisory you get on those CDs and other stuff. If you allow them to start doing this with like you know NSBM and stuff like that, even though it's a very small percentage, you're then you're then saying to these people, oh. Well, they must be okay if we're censoring that stuff. Then we're gonna go ahead and, you know, this Campbell Courts band, like they're really disgusting. We just we gotta shut that yeah, just shit down. Yeah, gross. Yeah, we gotta shut that shit down. Um, oh, 
Here's some more black metal bands that aren't racist, but they're satanic. We, we've got to shut that shit down, too. And that doesn't even matter if you believe in it or not. Right. So, I'll, I'll give you this, too, baby. When, when the author says, how much do you believe people can change and if they can change, let's look at our newly elected president. And this is not going to get political, but he has been in politics since the 70s. And times change. Like... He grew and he supports different things now than he did than he then. did in the seventies and the eighties just because times change. If we as a society we've elected him as our president, we said yes, he is our president, there are enough people who can look beyond what our president Joe Biden has decided to do back before I was even born and support different laws when I was a child than what he believes in now. You can't just say so-and-so was a bad person back in the 70s and now he's still a bad person and it's 2021. Things change, time change, people change. I sound like my mom coming home. but Well, you and I know a guy from the forums going back years um, from Australia. Um, I'm not going to name him just because I don't want to bring unwanted attention to him, but he started out like listening to a lot of the crazy NSBM stuff back in the day. He introduced me to quite a few bands uh, that weren't all in that range, but there was other bands that definitely were into, you know, Woods of Infinity, um, stuff like Burzum and stuff like that too. Um, however, in this day and age, he's a totally different guy. He was a young kid. Look at Howard Stern. Yeah. So, the reality is, and one thing that Matt points to is that by keeping the ability to access this stuff musically and through distros and stuff, you don't only keep the bigger dogs from trying to censor everybody, but you also sort of put out a bridge to these people to say, hey, you know what, man? You know, you're really talented, but the musical lyrics, I mean, I think you kind of need to, like, open your mind a little bit. And, and it's its sort of a bridging a gap to try to educate some of these people about it, it, that ignorance. It keeps an, an open discussion. Right. He, and that's what we want as a society. And that's, I, we're, we're here in America, and that's what we're supposed to be able to do as people. We're, we have an open discussion. We, you know... Under, we try to understand where things come from. Yeah, we're not always going to win that battle because we know that some people are just going to be set in stone, but to at least have the discussion is better than no discussion. And unfortunately, for, in my opinion, if we were to shut down access to NSBM and stuff like that, that would, and then all of a sudden all this other stuff with, like I said, Pandora's box opens up and everything else gets censored, then technically they win. Uh, like, like, it, like, it's not their purpose to try to shut down metal, but... What if they start just saying, if you say this word? So, that's not just metal. That's hip-hop. That's, yeah, it, it like, goes well beyond the metal borders. Okay, you can't say the word, uh, fuck or sex. Oh, I'm thinking about 20 hip-hop songs I love that say fuck or sex. So, that also gets scratched off. 
You can't talk about guns or drugs. Uh, we talk about guns and drugs in metal, and we also talk talk about guns and drugs in other genres. So what's going to happen is all we're going to be allowed to sing about is rainbows and puppies and unicorns, and we're going to be completely just bleached and benign. Yeah, like I th we can't say it enough. Just be careful what you wish for, and, you know... If you don't like it, don't listen. Well, it's that, and then, like, you know, you, you, you can, you know, boycott. You have the freedom to boycott things. Like, everything that people have done against some of these distros is legally. It's legal. It's legal, yeah. But I just say, be careful what you wish for, because once you've achieved that goal, it may not stop. And if you're a member of a band, and as Neko put it, you know, you could be having some lyrics that one day someone's going to say, you know what, guys? This isn't right. This is offensive. You need to shut this shit down. You're talking about... And then we know, because we have a lot of metal friends and bands, that they, they're not going to take kindly to that. It, it doesn't matter if they're not spewing racist stuff. It's like, all you have to do is offend one person and a group of people, and then all of a sudden it becomes a big issue. Like Dee Snyder. Right. And thank God he did what he did, because... The music scene could be a lot different today than it is was back then. In the 80s, what I've noticed, I mean, I was a child. Like, I was born in 1980, so I was a child child. So when I look back on the 80s, I think of, you know, elementary school in Sesame Street. But as I'm learning more things and re... Because I'm very big on research and reading lots of sources about the same story because everything can be slanted. In the 80s, there was a big, you know, the war on drugs, just say no, and, you know, for whatever reason, they decided to pick on Twisted Sister as their, like, I don't know, their scapegoat, their whipping child. Whatever they wanted to do was because it was... They were the most popular at the time, but they also were fucking with somebody who had a brain. The 80s was all about excess. It, I just learned so much about the quote-unquote war on drugs, which propagated a lot of people going to jail, that the government kind of like turned a blind eye on for a lot of things, politically and but on the surface like when you you look at what they were trying to stand for is were the goody goodies just say no oh these these lyrics are bad but they turned a blind eye to like the cause of what was happening just so that they could get their political stance out there and so they could get what their political gains that was a big deal in the 80s, and I feel like older people, older than us, because, you know, like my mom and dad's age and your parents' age, they hearken back to that, and all they hear is all this drilling in, drugs are bad, just say no, you know, the people who are on the streets dealing, they deserve to be in jail for 30 days, 30 years, or whatever, and the music is what made them do it, because they were kind of like, that was what was drilled in their heads. Anyway, that, anyway that, sorry. We'll get off our soapbox. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was really on my soapbox. I was staying on like my soap ladder. You all get the point. <laughs> <laughs>
Because trust me, if if shit goes south and things start getting censored, guess All what? All we're listening this show... to is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, we're, we won't have a show anymore. Cause oh, they won't who even us. knows? We may not even watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because he was quite controversial back in the day. Alright, so we're going to be closing out with a couple of blocks of music here. Ooh, what do we have? Got some new stuff from Zach Leeser, Ritualist, Frozen Soul. Al Mack, Ghost of Atlantis from Quobar PR, and then Vapor Quobar Highness Quobar always gives us stuff. Good yep. for him. All right, well, here's Zach Leeser with Macula. Seeing a few.
Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs>
ghost of Atlantis. I like that a lot. Oh, Zalurimai. Okay, so this last, like, little chunk of music spoke to my heart. All of it. The, like, the last six songs. It really did. I was like, I like that. I like that. Nice way to close shit out. Right? And, again, I'm gonna stand on my small soapbox. Once COVID goes away. I don't know. It's never gonna go away, apparently, according to scientists, doctors, etc. It's gonna kind of be like the flu. It's gonna be around forever, but we, if we control it, wash our hands, keep getting vaccinated every year, it's gonna be more under control. Once we are allowed to have concerts and more intimate gatherings, go see your local bands. Enjoy it. Because you're not going to get stuff like what we just listened to if you don't. We're, nobody's going to be creative anymore. And it was the best six songs I've heard in a long time. I mean, I, I think, didn't every single song, I was like, this is good. This, this is, is good. good. This, this is, is good. really good. Holy crap. There's so much out there that even if you have never heard of the band, like if the band's name is... Uncle Ted's asshole. Just go and visit them and have a couple of beers and some wings and enjoy it. Honestly. Yeah, dinner sounds good right about now. Oh, I'm sorry. I ate all the. I I'm full. I ate all the chips. <laughs> all right. Make a roast tomorrow, though, babe. Yeah, we're getting ready to get out of here. Thanks, Aaron, for tuning in. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank Edgar you, Edgar Allan Poet, my boy, for joining us earlier. And hope you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. We had, we're going to have four covers today, which is kind of shocking usually. We had the Natural Pofago earlier kicking it off with uh, Davidian from Machine Head. Uh, Perilla doing Breed from Nirvana. Cat doing You Shook Me All Night Long for ACDC. And closing it out. We got Vapor Hymas, Ring of Gold, a battery cover. Ooh. Enjoy your rest of your weekend. Neko and I are out. Good night.